With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you stars our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get tired. Peace and welcome New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery, hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with New Abolitionist and actionist Johanna Alaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with people and projects that help combat it. Today is June 10th, 2015, and tonight on New Abolitionist Radio, Albert Woodfox, Khalif Browder, Alicia Thomas, Walter Scott, names you should know, and we'll tell you why. We'll discuss a report from RT News that suggests judges are taking bribes from private prison companies. Ferguson gets a new police chief, and we take a look at a Washington Post report from Radley, uh, Radley Balco, author of The Rise of the Warrior Cop, which will help us understand just what kind of changes he will have to make for Ferguson to break away from the criminal racial profiling policing for profit extortion that is going on throughout the surrounding cities there in Missouri. Marco Rubio, the U.S. Senator from the state of Florida and current presidential candidate, is on the private prison profiteer's payroll. We'll tell you how, as we've told you before. In our Ferguson is American series, today we show you that, uh, in our Ferguson America series, today we show you that Idaho is Ferguson. This week's rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Kia Stewart, 27. Exonerated April 13, 2015, after spending 10 years of a life sentence behind bars for killing Bryant B.J. Craig Jr., Kia Stewart was able to walk out of the Orleans Parish Criminal Courthouse a free man. Our abolitionists in profiles win William Henry Johnson, 1833 to 1918, a black abolitionist, politician, and crusader for the rights of blacks. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find archived podcasts podcast at newabolitionistradio.blogspot.com. We invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1530-881-1400, access code 549032-POUND. Just press star 601 to queue up from the conference line. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Scotty? What's happening, Johan? And how you guys are doing? 
Um, no, no complaints, man. Just been a very busy day of broadcasting on the network, and that's a good thing. Keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> How about you, Johanna? You good? Yes, yeah, every, everything's good, man. Everything's you know, good. I, I'm broadcasting from my location out in, uh, right now we're in, uh, Newport, Rhode Island. And, uh, we're here right on location in the only state in the union to actually abolish slavery in its constitution, with no caveats included. A model, a model for the rest of these states to follow. Exactly, which is what we're hoping we can bring into uh, fruition through what we're doing here on the programming. Uh, we got a lot of stuff that's going on this week. It's been a hell of a week, man. Week after week, it's increasing. As witnesses, we're watching this. It's like it's just coming to a head. You could see it. So many stories to keep track of. Yeah, um, a lot of stories. Uh, Johanna, you coming in kind of low, man. Uh, you might want to turn up your volume. I mean, we could hear you, but it's just real low in, in comparison to our voices. Okay. Yeah, like Max said, though, I mean, yeah, every week it's, um, it's coming in pretty, it's, uh, pretty crazy. We, we never run out of, uh, new material to discuss on this program week to week. So that's, that's, uh, not necessarily something that makes me happy. Yeah, and, and hearing that story about Khalif Browder, man, I'm like, man, you know, that's yeah. just so sad, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah, that that was a rough way to start the week, man. I I kind of had to vent and uh, get some stuff out so I wouldn't be here on Black Talk Radio Network tonight dropping a bunch of F-bombs and, and you know, multi-syllable curse words and whatnot because it's just like, damn. We talked about this, brother. I was able to... uh blessed to, to have met the brother and spoke with him uh, several times after we reported on his story originally mm-hmm. and uh, you know had some had some decent uh, inbox conversations with him uh, he did seem uh, you know very guarded but I mean of course I went into uh, into talking to him fully expecting and and appreciating and trying to understand as best I could you know what all may have happened to him that he you know, never intended to tell anybody. Just you know what he actually saw and what he actually I saw him um, along the same in the same as as my own sons, as my nephews. You know, as a teen, um, you know that was just snatched off the street. And what would have had you know what would happen to my nephews? What would happen to my son? You know, I see him now, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old, and then I don't see him again for three years after they've been in one of the most notorious jails you know, on the planet uh, with no hope, knowing that they did nothing wrong, um, knowing that we're not in a position to get them free, um, knowing that they're fighting for their life, knowing that they're facing, you know, all this time and they still don't even know why they're there. I mean, just every kind of thing that you could put on a person, uh, every source of despair and depression and pain and just breaking a human being, I fully felt and understood that this young brother was likely dealing with all of that plus much more than I could even understand so you know it, it just it, I just had hope man that we uh, could help him and that he could get his story out and he could turn it around you know he seemed he was a very intelligent guy he was getting good grades he was moving on with his life in ways that appeared as though he was he he was going to be able to make it but I mean how can you know what he was really feeling through so R.I.P. young brother I, I just it, it hurts yeah, it hurts like it's a part of my family. 
it would have been lost. I, I kind of feel the same way, man. And I understand the broader story here. You know, we've told people that the justice policy report came out about how much states, each state pays these prisons to house teenagers. And in New York State, it's $352,000 a year. Now, this is a bounty on these children's head. And this is why they're picking them up and putting them in these prisons. And the way they did him was picked him up and uh, accused him. All he was was accused of stealing a backpack. And then end up being thrown into this adult prison on Rikers Island. Video surface of him being abused while he's in there, this 16-year-old boy. Had his life stolen for three years, was never charged with anything, uh, never convicted of anything. And then at the end of it all, unceremoniously deposited outside with not so much as an I'm sorry, here's what we did wrong, nothing. Just let him go. Browder, your turn. You're out now. After three years of horror and abuse. This is terrifying to think that this is happening to our kids and they have these bounties on their heads. And I don't think that Brother Browder was the only person to succumb to such hopelessness, but he is one that we are aware of. I remember the kids out in the judges, uh, kids for cash story. One of the reasons why it came to light was because one of those kids committed suicide after being put in there. Right, right. You know, um, I was listening to a rebroadcast earlier today of Tanya Free and Friends talk show, one of our media partners and, and me and this guy, man, we bumped heads before. Um, I'm not going to say anything derogatory about him. Let's just put it this way. I blocked him on social media. I blocked him from Black Talk Radio Network. I blocked him on Facebook. <laughs> and, and so, you know, because it, it, if, 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 if every time, if our interactions is also, is not going to be positive and there's nothing constructive, there's no need for me to, to conversate with you about anything because it's not a conversation. It's just leading to anti-blackness. And so I heard him call into her show today. And one of the things they were talking about was the governor of Maryland cutting the money to, they had like a surplus or something. They had some money to spend in the budget. And instead of putting this money on education, they put that money on a brand new, uh, youth detention facility. And people were mad about that and whatnot. And so he calls in and, and he's like saying, and, and it's not what he's saying sometimes isn't true. It's the way he says it. And, and so he was talking about, he was talking about there's no such thing as mass incarceration. Less than 3% of the population is behind bars or something like that. And so, so, I mean, it's mass, the way that those people use mass incarceration, cause we call it modern day slavery, is they're, they're saying it's mass incarceration in terms of the historical view. Okay? Not that there are 40 million out of 46 million black people in prison. They're just saying there are more black people than ever in prison. More black people in prisons or jails than have ever been, you know, on a plantation during the pre, the slavery pre-1865. And, and so, but that's true though. The vast majority of black people are not in prison and not in jail. But so does that mean that we should turn our backs on them? No, it does not mean that. But then like today I had posted 
um, I was on YouTube looking at some of the things I subscribed to and, and there was a, a video conference that was um it, it was actually a webinar but they recorded it and put it on vi- on on uh YouTube by the Urban Institute and I posted that to my network and so one of the things that I posted it to Black Talk Radio Network I'm sorry and one of the things that was stated in uh in this video uh, on this conference or or webinar they said that according it says that nearly 3 million children under the age of 18 have a parent in jail or prison, and millions more have experienced their parents being arrested. Due to their parents' criminal justice involvement, a growing body of research indicates that these children often experience trauma, family disruption, and the loss of their primary caregiver, which can lead to financial hardship, residential instability, and an array of emotional and behavioral problems. And so I had also had passed along information last week that um, their reports are indicating that there is an increase of suicides among young black people, even, even, you know, kids as young as five years old. And so I'm connecting the dots and I'm, and I'm believing that that rise in suicides are directly related to them having a parent in prison or in jail and all of that trauma and emotional, uh, instability that that causes. And, 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 and again, I'm sure, I'm sure Mr. Browder Problems that led him to take his life was directly related to his experience on the, on the prison plantation. And, and so again, I just don't like people trying to minimize modern day slavery and human trafficking just because the vast, you know, majority of black people or any people of any color are, are not in prison. 2.5 million people in prison and 70% of those, I mean, in prison or jail, and 70% of those have to do with nonviolent, you know, victimless criminal offenses that only make some crimes because white people in Congress said this is a crime. You know what I'm saying? And so, that's the yeah, static number. That pisses me every off. Every year, 24 million go through those jails, prisons, and probation companies. Exactly, man. So this is a huge problem, man, and I'm yeah. I'm terribly upset at the death of this young brother. Absolutely, now that guy's off. He's off base. It is mass incarceration because there are a, a, there's a massive number of people that are incarcerated. It's not majority incarceration, which is not what anybody's calling it. So he's off base. His premise is, is completely flawed to even try to put those things together like that. Nobody said it's not. Nobody said that it's majority incarceration. It's mass incarceration because it's a massive number of people that are behind bars. I mean, damn, if you had a hundred million, if you had a billion people in America and you still had 2.5 million people, that would still be a massive number. If you had five billion people in America, two and a half million people locked up would still be a massive number of people. There's still something wrong when you, you don't... have over two million people in your free society that are locked up. What is going on in your society that is causing that much criminality among the citizens? That is a problem. I, I can't find it in myself to even defend the term mass incarceration as an in, a thing unto itself because it's a process. It's like the fugitive slave laws was also 
uh, a version of what we call mass incarceration because they had all these bounty hunters out there hunting people down. Now, they weren't hunting the entire population of America. They were hunting people who had escaped from the South. And that was, as I said, a form of mass incarceration. I just keep it simple and look at this all as processes which are occurring during uh, a time when slavery is legal and constitutionally codified. So we got 320 million people in this country. There's seven, what is it, like seven billion people on the planet. How many people do you have to, does it have to be for you to be concerned? <laughs> you know? We're talking about going and destroying entire countries because we've seen a few people get their heads cut off. We're talking about 24 million people suffering in the country you're in. So anyway, yeah, it's upsetting, man, especially during these times of so many people dying left and right. And you're seeing cops doing barrel rolls on freaking 16-year-old or 14-year-old teenage girls in bikinis and whatnot, you know? And then you got uh, stories like the other brother from the Angola 3, uh, 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 Albert, Albert Woodcock, yeah, Albert, Albert Woodfox, who you were just telling me recently, you know, they said that they ordered his release, and then because of some uh, DA, was it the district attorney? No, it's the state um, uh, attorney. Attorney General, yeah, attorney the general. State attorney general is blocking his freedom now after f nearly forty years of his life in isolation, in in uh, solitude there. And they won't let this man free when really he's not even guilty of anything to begin with. This is like right. really some petty. I think evil this stuff. is this is, and he is a political prisoner. And of course, we will be talking about him this coming Sunday on Political Prisoner Radio. But he's a case. He was a member of the Angola Three. He's a political prisoner because he was a member of the Black Panther Party, and they were organizing in Angola prison against all of the abuses of 21st century slavery and human trafficking back in the 70s. Okay, and and so they the court. The federal courts have overturned his convictions twice before and ordered his release. And the state of Louisiana, you know, keeps on, uh, 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 what do they call it, appealing it and then causing him to stay locked up, you know. And so yesterday it was reported it was a misleading headline and I shared it and I'm sorry, um, that I shared it or didn't change the headline on Facebook, but it, it, it gave you the impression that he had been released. And so when I got up this morning, I'm, you know, looking to check on him because I ain't heard nothing from none of my political prisoner advocate friends and, and, and that, you know, Albert's home, you know, or I didn't hear anything from Angola News, Angola 3 News, which is a blog for them. And so I'm like, damn, you know, they they trying to keep him in prison. And sure enough, they done blocked it and he's still in prison in solitary confinement and still probably having six sadistic guards doing invasive body cavity searches on him every day. Yeah, man. It's kind of, it's crazy to me because we already know the story. We've discussed it. And of course we got new people listening all the time as Max always reminds me. So I'm not dismissing it by any means, but because we know and we've discussed his story, we talked about uh, Brother Wallace, when he was let out, and what is he? What did what he make it? Three days. Three, yeah, before like he three died. days before he died. Um, that's so easy. we've been in this, yeah. So we've been in this, and we know this. But something that really hit home with me yesterday, when that's when that headline came out early, 
my niece, who is 28 this year, reached out to me about his story. She's, you know, hey, did you hear about this uh, this man? They didn't have this man in solitary for 40 whatever whatever years and da 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 da. And you know, I mean, as long as I've been on this program, I mean, all their lives, of course, I've been somewhat you know activist or involved in something or doing something, preaching something, teaching. So they know I'm kind of radical, I guess you would say. But she hadn't reached out to me about, you know, New Abolitionist Radio or about the abolitionist movement or anything I've posted really about prisons and all this type of thing until this story. So here's a 28-year-old, college-educated, you know, young woman out here, got her career, doing her own thing, whatever. That caught her eye, that story. And she reached out to me, and we discussed it in depth. And we talked about, you know, different books and different information that's out there on it because she seemed pretty interested. So I started trying to you know, give her more information and, and, you know, trying to kind of guide her own in. Like, you know, if you think that's crazy, his is just one of thousands and thousands <laughs> of stories, you know. So we're getting on that page and she's coming on in. Well, we didn't, we didn't get done talking. It wasn't even an hour before the next story came out that was talking about the attorney, the state attorney general blocking it and they wasn't going to let him go. And I was thinking to myself, how amazing is that? If we could just get just that one ray of light, that one hope, of getting a brother or a sister freed in a situation like that. Look how one person getting freed turns around a person on the outside to become possibly an abolitionist, to become more aware. So people need the hope is, I guess, what I'm saying. When you see somebody that wasn't even concerned, take a concern, and it's, and it's on a day like that when we thought there was going to be change. But now, look, it's turned around. So it's like they continue to turn more people from the abolitionist movement when they destroy the hope that we're able to get our people back out of the belly of the beast. You know, speaking of the abolitionist movement growing, <clears throat> Scotty was just uh, sharing recently that he uh, brought 80, 83 more people came on board our move to abolish 21st century slavery, which is great. Uh, the, the movement is growing, certainly. Just in the past couple of days, while I was traveling through Virginia and uh, New York State, upstate New York, and here on my way to Providence and, and Newport, I spoke to at least four or five people that I'm virtually certain now are abolitionists. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've been wearing the shirts. I made some shirts. We've been talking about making shirts, so I made some shirts with some quotes on oh, it, and they've been striking up a lot of conversation. And all you have to do is just <laughs> tell people a few simple truths, and you just watch it click. You know, so if they're trying to take hope away from us, then I'm out here trying to give hope back by, you know, letting people become aware, making them aware of what's happening. And every time they say the same thing, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. As a matter of fact, if you don't mind, I want to just let people know where I'll be here in Providence in Newport, Rhode Island over the next couple of days because I want as many people to come see us as possible. We need to have a conversation about this and I'm going to be there live and in person. So come on down and talk and uh, check out what we're doing. On Saturday, we'll be at Cafe Soul. That's June 13th. Doors open at 7 p.m. and the show commences at 9. It's at 62 Dyke Street, Loft 5, number 302, Providence, Rhode Island. For more information, check out cafe-soul.org. And also we'll be in, um, also in Providence, we'll be at the Celebrity Lounge tomorrow night. That's 71 Richmond Street, Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, zip code is 02903. So check us out at one of those places. The one tomorrow night is 8 p.m. We come on at 9 o'clock. It's a $10 cover charge, $5 if you have student ID. 
veteran uh, veterans get to come in free and military ID donations are welcome. So there's where you can find this. Let's talk about this. I'm here and I'm live in a place where abolition actually happened. <laughs> they called this place the Citadel of Abolitionism. And I know from personally coming here for the past 10 years that it still is. Right on, man. I'm happy, like you said, you got the shirts, uh, got the shirts working. So, I mean, that's just a step closer because we do have, we do need to be stepping up. And I know I've talked about it. We just got to make it happen. So, I'm glad you, glad, glad you're getting the message out and seeing some success from that. Yeah. The and, first. And if any veterans show up, remind them that over 700,000 uh, yeah. veterans are prison slaves today. Fully a third of the entire prison population of veterans. Yeah, it's amazing. The first person, but they was fighting for freedom, though. The first person to get a shirt from me was my uh, great aunt, who raised me as her son, and she was raised by former slaves herself, who had come from Macon County, Georgia, and Savannah, Georgia, and moved to Patterson, New Jersey. So it was she was the first one to get a shirt, and me and her sat and talked about a lot of things today. Man, seven hundred thousand. Veterans. That's a lot, man. That's a lot of people who sacrifice for your freedom to hear, you know, these right wing and not just right wing to hear these white folks tell it and proxy racist tools tell it. They was so they was over there fighting for our freedom, our liberty and our security. And this is how you repay them. Because the most of them, what do they have? From the horrors of war that they witnessed, they have drug addiction problems, trying to self-medicate. And they also have mental health issues. And again, we know that a large population of the prison plantation are, are people who have mental health issues. And, and we report on it every week. And so, man, that's just a shame, man. You would think, you would think, you know, that you would have those people who love waving the flag and saying supporting the troops would be putting this information out out there and saying it's wrong these people sacrifice for us and now they they slaves they in the slave plantation and and we this is unacceptable i I demand that the commander-in-chief issue a pardon for them right now but we're not hearing any of that so at the moment scotty i'm at the home of uh jessica uh patrice coulter coulter and she is uh, one of the faces of the Wounded Warrior Project. And she's also an abolitionist. She's spoken with her several yes, times. Yes, yes, I remember her. And she makes it her business to make people aware of what veterans are suffering because of that, how many are in prison and homeless as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, man. And for those that don't know, I'm a veteran as well. Well... Johanan, uh, I'm going to count on you today to keep us in our order of events because I, I don't have access to all of my normal tools with me today. Right, so right. I'm going to leave it to you to keep us keep us on the move where we need to go. I got you. I got you. Um, Let's take an early. Hey, hey, I'm sorry, Johanan. I'm, I'm sorry. Let's no, no. take an early break, um, and then we could jump right into this first story, which I think is about sexual abuse in prisons. How that sound? That good, that good, fellas? Sounds good to, to, to me. All right. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on blacktalkradionetwork.com. We're talking about modern day slavery and human trafficking and we're not pulling punches. We're talking about metaphors. We'll be right back after this. We do whatever we do to survive. Drop it. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, 
visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and Johanna Nalaya. Uh, I believe we were going to get into our first story. Johanna, what is our first story of the day? Well, <clears throat> we're uh, moving into the story about the most notorious Julia Tutwiler prison. Oh. Shout out to the shout out to the Free Alabama family, word, the Free Mississippi family, and all those that support those uh, who are who are behind bars. See, we doing our part with the with uh, the Black Lives Matter and the All Lives Matter and the, the Say Her Name and the Women Lives and everything else. All these fringe people want to come out and say. You're not getting support for the women. Well, we do ours here on New Abolitionist Radio. We're about to tell you now a follow-up on stories that we have reported on in the past where we were telling you things uh, like the facts of the matter being that uh, nearly 60% of all sexual assault, rape, and abuse that's going on in the prisons is happening at the hands of the guards and administrative staff. Um, this is a story coming from Think Progress. Uh, it's titled DOJ cracks down on prison that turned a blind eye to heinous sex crimes. Um, so after decades of turning a blind eye to horrific sex crimes, Alabama's Julia Tutwiler prison for women is finally being taken to task by the DOJ. So if it helps anybody, I'm thankful to be a, to be a part of new abolitionist movement and, and thankful to you two, uh, Max and Scotty for helping me to see the light and, and work diligently to keep bringing this information out. Hopefully now, we're seeing uh, this is maybe going to help some people. It says, uh, during his 2013 investigation of sexual violence in Tutwiler, the DOJ collected hundreds of letters from inmates, 25% of which detailed some form of sexual misconduct. In addition to raping and sodomizing them, personnel withheld basic necessities from women if they refused to perform sexual favors. Some women were watched as they showered and dressed, and others were called derogatory names. Those who chose to speak up were thrown into segregation and subjected to polygraphs. At the time of the investigation, 36% of Tutwiler's staff had admitted to sexually abusing female inmates, but heinous sex crimes have occurred in facilities for decades, and the DOJ discovered the Alabama Department of Corrections knowingly allowed this to persist. According to a settlement announced Thursday, Tutwiler will overhaul its current system of responding to and tracking sexual misconduct. In addition to fully staffing and reorienting its camera policy, the prison must hire a full-time staff member to ensure that the facility is in compliance with the rape elimination, the Prison Rape Elimination Act, which requires all correctional facilities to track sexual abuse and submit policy recommendations to reduce it. Can I submit a policy recommendation? <laughs> can I su- can I submit more right now? Please, Please do, sir. How about prosecuting? Rapists, right? Oh, prosecuting the criminality. You see, they're making money instead. We're gonna get money for cameras. We're gonna get new positions, new white guys to come in here and rape these black women. You know, we're gonna have new contracts. We're just gonna throw money at ourselves, and that's gonna solve the problem. Because I'm noticing, I'm noticing, you know, that these 36 percent of Tutwiler staff had admitted. To admitted. or found to have abused female inmates. Well, I, what, when does their trial start? 
You know, I didn't see any pictures or photographs or video of 36% of the staff being perp walked out to prison to the jails, you know, in handcuffs and, and awaiting trial. No, again, this, this goes along again with like in Cleveland. You know, in Ferguson, Ferguson is America. You know what I'm saying? Where the D- DOJ finds all this criminality and they get into, they enter into a settlement with these criminals. Okay. That does not result in any kind of prosecution without prosecution. You can't get a conviction and without a conviction, you can't punish them. So I, I'm, I'm just want people to know, although I am. Uh, I, uh, let me find the fight, the right word. Although, um, the right words, um, <laughs> I don't want to use words like happy or anything like that. Um, I, I'll say it's refreshing to see that the investigations are being done and that all of this information is being reported. But at the same time, like I just got through ranting about, if there are no criminal prosecutions, no convictions and, 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 and whatnot, then, I mean, I don't see any deterrent for these people. I mean, I thought that's what you're supposed to do to criminals. Isn't that why these women are allegedly in prison? Because they're alleged criminals, you know? So so why what's good for them? Why, you know, it was good enough for them. So why are these people not being put through the criminal justice system? Imagine the torture of having to see your rapist's face every day, knowing they're not being prosecuted for the, what they did to you, and the answer you received is, we're going to get new cameras so we can keep a closer eye. And, uh, we're going to train them, Max. We're going to train, train some people and bring re- in some new people. All the staff. Yeah. I mean, well, how much training do you have? Come on, come on now. I, I, I don't, man. Okay, let me put it like this. Do I need training <laughs> to know that rape is wrong? Huh? Well, how you gonna teach me not to rape? You Scotty, know, I should already Scotty, know that. A, Scotty, you don't work in a prison. You don't know the stress that they deal with. Ain't that how yeah. they talk when you when they so, defend themselves? Ain't that kind of the kind of stuff they say? So you that's how you're I, behind the badge. Until you're behind the badge, you don't know the stress. These women are probably coming on to these guys, and they're right. probably want to be. They're raped. probably forcing sex. Yeah, they're forcing sex. You know how? Do you know how? Uh, what they call it? Um, uh, manipulative. These criminals are. Don't you know what they do? A lot of these women are in here uh, because they want to. They got a fantasy of getting raped by a guard, and they won't stop until a guard rapes them. So, don't that sound like what you hear on on Fox News or something? And you, you know, this is like the other story that we have about the National Bar Association is looking now into the same thing: abuses, and not just right. Tuttweiler, but other places. So, I believe that they're hearing our voices collectively, and I, I'm so glad that we're a part of a program like this where we can help. Uh, keep the narrative true. Where you, you're, you're, you're hearing truth for a change, which is very refreshing, as Scotty said. You know, and you understand what's going on out there. You didn't stutter earlier, Johanna, when you said that almost sixty percent of all rapes in prisons yeah. are perpetrated by the employees of the prisons. Yep, insane, insane that we've reported on this for years. That these reports would come out years ago. Uh, there was a re- investigation is referenced in this article from 2013. I mean, I would say at this point that America is not at all serious about the crime and the inhumanity, the human rights violation, which is known as rape. 
America is not serious about rape in any way, shape, or form. But, but, Yohanan, Yohanan, these aren't people. These are slaves. These are slaves, man. And don't you know that any kind of, you know, when you are a slave, you have no rights, not even to your own body, you know? And so, you know, imagine how pre 1865 how a father right. may have been forced to know that you know seeing every day his daughter's rapist or whatnot or the mothers you know being raped and then have to see you know their rapist every day and can't do anything about it i mean man so that that's the bottom line it's the 13th amendment in effect here and, yep. and and another thing we should 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 note that while they focusing on Julia Tutwiler prison for women, we have reported on other women prisons where this is going on in Texas, and I think the other oh, one was in Michigan where they were uh, uh, stripping these women butt naked, hog tying them, leaving them on the floor, not feeding them, and and giving them water for days. <laughs> yep. What, what was uh, where was the brother that came out? That he either got fired or he got in, he got in trouble, but he came out and testified against. Was that a Florida prison where he was talking about how they was making him do strip shows? Uh, I remember the story. Around. I remember the story. I don't remember where it was though. Well, that's a whole nother account. Yeah. What we suggest is the listeners go back and listen to every show until you can find that one. Please do so because it'll be like a right. college education. We have spoken on this, but you can go to newabolitionistradio.blogspot.com. And check through our archives. We usually have the stories listed of what we're doing that week. So you can check it out, look it up, and look at some of the other stuff there. You'll be amazed at what we've uncovered right here on New Abolitionist Radio. Mm-hmm. Well, we went into um, talking about this this story first. And because we did have her name on the list of people we were going to discuss, I don't know if we'll have time to go into the full story, but I, I do want to give the listener, uh, the, the abolitionist audience, uh, an opportunity to know the outcome of the story we reported on last week of the LAPD officer that uh, told Alicia Thomas she was going to punt her right in the pussy and ended up killing her, beat her, and kicked her, and killed her. Beat her to Um, death. Yeah, she was convicted of assault under color of authority. She'll be uh, supposedly serving three years in county. Three years. Three years. She ain't even going to get three years. No, she'll probably do 12 months of that. If if she ever goes into a cell, I'm make it into a cell because she's she's not in there for murder. She murdered somebody with right. intent to murder. Not only intent, she told the woman like it was a promise. I'm gonna punch you in your pussy, and then she did, and she kicked her to death. Yeah, but she's now because of the technicalities that they use as far as what they're charging her with, mm-hmm. she's probably mm-hmm. just gonna get off. Period. If, yeah. Maybe a year of probation, mm-hmm. monitored probation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, man! Oh, well, that's Dang, the, yes. That's what you can do apparently and get away with in the United States when slavery is legalized through the Thirteenth Amendment in our yep. U.S. Constitution. Those are the things that you do when you turn people into products, like that auction that we heard said. You know, no matter mm-hmm. what you're making in this prison or what your services are, you're going to have plenty of people coming through here and plenty of product. Right, and that's something. Uh, uh, also, while we're covering just like the little bits of stories that we we're not probably not going to do a full report on, um, out of South Carolina, the officer that uh, shot and killed Walter Scott uh, actually was indicted. Uh, grand jury, 
grand jury indicted a former North Charleston, South Carolina police officer, Michael Slacker, on a murder charge in connection to the April shooting death of Walter Scott. Um, so that's the update on that story. So they said they were going to bring up murder charges on him. He's supposedly been locked up since then. I don't, I don't know. I mean, all you can do is have hope that what they show you, the pictures and all this stuff is really what's happening. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody didn't sneak this joker out the back door. He at home chilling with his family or something, but he's supposedly in the jail and they did put uh, murder charges on him. So he said, if he's convicted of uh, murder, the officer could uh, face up to life in prison. Uh, the grand jury is just a formal step, but it's just another step in the criminal process. Andy Savage, uh, who's Slager's attorney. Man. And nobody else was charged in the cover-up. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, remember on. that. The, it's See, all you want justice. Deal. I can tell. I can tell when I hear you talking. You want justice. You want you want real righteous uh, uh, freedoms and justice. To, but this is America, man. I can tell from what you're saying that you want righteousness. You want the right thing to happen. And you want justice for these people. But this is America. That's the best I could tell you. This is America. <laughs> I mean, you tell me when it ever happened here. I ask people that all the time when they get on their high horse. I mean, I'm not talking about you, of course. I'm saying, like, you know, in general, when you get into base with people and they get on this thing about, you know, America and the freedoms and why are you here and this is the best thing. I just ask a simple question. Just give me an incident when America was righteous. Give me some time, some historical something that happened when America did the right thing, when America followed the law, when America was righteous in any kind of way, did anything good. All, all of a sudden, the other end of the, the conversation gets real quiet. Hmm. There are some fallacies out there that people will present to you, of course. you know, They'll talk about all the good things that they've done. <laughs> You know, which mm -hmm. never really happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and you I know, think and they know that I know that, so that's why they don't go there. Because they know as soon as they say it, no, nope, no, nope, this is what really happened. And if you let Fox News tell it, uh, come on, even slavery was the best thing that ever happened to black people. And they'll get a black proxy to tell you that with all sincerity. Slavery was oh, the best you mean thing like that? You mean like that black proxy radio host? Uh, who was telling us, who went on conservative media, or I don't know what outlet he was on, but to tell us that what we saw down there in Texas where the, that terrorist attack on them black children wasn't racist? You mean that kind of proxy? <laughs> yes, exactly. And then to find out that it was racist, that there was this white woman and her daughter who had assaulted a teenage black girl who was half of either one of their sizes uh, in a freaking two-piece bikini, and then you find out even further that this racist white woman and her daughter is the loan officer for Bank of America. And then you look even deeper and you go, oh, my God. In 2009, they had a racial discrimination housing uh, suit that they had to settle in that same place. Very likely Bank of America and this woman were involved in that. You start seeing how deeply this racism is involved in everything that's going on. Everything. Yeah. And we've seen this so many times. The year I was born... There was hotels that were pouring acid into their swimming pools to get black people out. Pouring acid into the swimming pools. And this is usually where you know, the, civil rights things are fought in recreational areas. Right. The 1919 Chicago race riots was based on black folks drifting away from their part of the, of the beach. One black boy was seen 
past the line where he wasn't supposed to be, where the white water, the white water in the beach started. So they go over and start killing up the black folks. See, that's why I know they don't like states don't like our uh, Ferguson is America series because we will uncover your dirt. <laughs> we uncover it. Yes, Hawaii mastered human trafficking, and we explain how. Yes, Connecticut has its jails and prisons all tied together, and they're using their black population in order to fund their freaking government. We expose all of that. Well, right on. So, again, R.I.P. Walter Scott. He's uh, His process is still in order. So, I mean, all we can do, people, really, is just hope that something good comes out of this thing until the until the covert operations take take effect because uh what we're doing you know on the radar and in front of everybody is is looking and hoping and wishing and praying like everybody else and i guess some folks is marching and, and guessing that that's gonna do something but i mean it's a process he's, he's going through the the anglo-american tradition of jurisprudence so we'll see uh slager's been charged so it's just another step um so uh, our next story we got up, we can go to either the uh, private prison, the video, uh, which we won't be playing the video, but the, the story from uh, Russian Times News where the former private prison guard comes out and calls itself exposing the system, or y'all want to go into talking about Ferguson, got a new police chief, and then kind of go into the the St. Louis uh, racial profiling story. We'll follow your lead, your hunter. Well, all right. What he said. <laughs> Okay, um, let's go to the St. Louis to the police chief uh, story. Because, I mean, after th- that video, we can still talk about it. But that guy just really kind of pissed me off with his... He didn't have... The lies. Oh, oh, my yeah, God. Have- it really shows the, the so, depth of people's thought processes. So, yeah, go ahead on with it. Um, This is from the Daily Coast... Uh, it's a story titled New Ferguson Police Chief Tells Blatant and Disturbing Lies Throughout Recent Interview. And I mean, this guy looks like the devil himself just standing. I mean, one of his favorite imps, if not the devil, just standing here grinning. Oh, he looked evil as full, hell. Full on red, too, man. I mean, from the neck to the to the forehead. So When I first I saw know. that picture, Johanna, and we talked about it last night in our pre-planning stage, <laughs> I, said, I said, dude looks like he just molested his niece and now he swallowed a live frog, and nobody knows either of those, and he's real happy about it. Just yeah, like an happy. evil you face. Don't, you don't know my secret, right? He definitely looks like one of these guys that could be one of those uh, KKK that, that went to work for the police. That's just grinning like, oh, if you thought if you thought Ferguson was bad before. So anyway, in his uh, interview, um, says given his first in-depth interview with Molly Hennessy Fisk of the Los Angeles Times. Uh, Man's name is, is interim chief. His name is Al Eikhoff. Um, he's a seasoned veteran of St. Louis area law enforcement. Uh, obviously, he was brought in to report uh, to re- replace former chief Tom Jackson, who uh, left still denying that the Department of Justice report was it in any kind of way valid. Even though he did uh, fully embrace the Department of Justice report on on Darren Wilson and why they were not able to successfully bring charges against him. They did not say he was not guilty of doing anything. They just couldn't successfully prosecute him as according to the law, the way it's been set up. But anyway, Tom, Tom Jackson's out. Al Eikhoff is in. He gave his interview to Los Angeles Times. He um, said he almost immediately slipped into his own peculiar world of half-truths, strange, strangeness, and outright lies. Either the new chief actually believes the mess he said in this interview, which is disturbing, or he's lying and he knows it, which is also disturbing. 
So they go into breaking them down line by line. This is line number one. He says, we got a lot of negative notoriety, and it all stemmed from Michael Brown's body having to mm. lie on the parking lot for four and a half hours. The reason he was there for so long was because of hostile fire against our officers. We could not get to Michael Brown's body. Wow. Like, yeah. everybody's yeah. seen the video, dude. <laughs> everybody's seen the video. <laughs> there was no hostile fire. What's the next lie? <laughs> well, here's my thing. I think that the lie, the first lie is not even that they couldn't get to the body. The first lie is the part where he says we got a lot of negative notoriety and it all stemmed right. from Michael Brown's body. No, 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 no. The negative notoriety did not all stem from his body lying there. Yeah, that was a, that was a part of it. The negative notoriety came from the Killing media the blackout. Right, killing an unarmed teenager. The media blackout that was called, which is unprecedented, except for in the case of Christopher Dorner, where they told the media that they couldn't show what they was about to do when they burned up the cabin and, and killed him. Um, but you can't just tell the media, look, you can't come here and show what's going on. So people began to sniff a cover-up. People began to see some kind of problems with that. The uh, negative uh, notoriety began to come from reports of gang violence and gang drive-by shootings. Mm -hmm. That were later proven to be police. Yep. Driving like, around shoot people. That shot the one girl uh, in the head and then went and yes. stole the bullet. <laughs> Maya Aden White, uh, yep. college graduate, activist, strong young sister, was out there doing what she could for her people. Took a bullet in the forehead and survived. The cops came into her hospital room during surgery and confiscated the evidence, and that bullet has never been seen again. No charges were ever brought, no investigation has gone any further. So that has a lot to do with your negative notoriety. Kajame uh, Powell did not help Kajame their notoriety Powell. at all. Right. When you publicly executed a man over the price of about $2 worth of sodas, and he did it on purpose to show that you would. Just kill right. him outright over two sodas. And his first, the first report coming out is that uh, he came at the officers with an overhand motion with a knife in his hand. That was the first lie that they came on breaking news, broke away from the live stream yep. of the Ferguson of the Ferguson protesting to take you to this shooting and tell you, well, the officers had no choice. He lunged at the officers with an overhand motion. Really? And the video comes out five minutes after your press conference <laughs> showing what really happened. No apology for the lie, though. No retraction of the statement. We just gonna ride with it, and over time, we're gonna keep saying our side, and eventually. What we say is going to be the truth, and what you know was the truth is going to go away. Nobody's going to believe you. So there was a lot of different things that went on, and we still didn't even cover all of them that went on in Ferguson that contributed to their negative notoriety. Right. Uh, Michael Brown's body was just one part. So, um, lie number two: um, I don't think I don't think other people have paid protesters <laughs> flying to their city. Okay, his comment was: I don't think other people have paid protesters flying to their city, which is a continued attack on this supposed George Soros funding uh, all of these different protest movements around the country and sending millions and millions of dollars to pay for food and lodging and, and paying these people's salaries and all these different stories that are coming out about all that. So he just threw that in unsolicited to say that paid protesters were taking over first. Um. You know, we interview many of the people here on Black Talk Radio Network on various <laughs> right, programs, right. and they were not getting paid by George Soros, Soros or whatnot. 
But that is something to be concerned about. And, and actually, you made me think about it, Johanna, because of some of your Facebook posts about, you know, they want to keep Negroes nonviolent and turning the other cheek and, and instead of actually mounting a true freedom or liberation movement. You know, to, to preach reform, you know, just slow reforms that's going to take 200 more years. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so there is some need to be concerned when we have people who don't live in our communities funding stuff in our communities. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying all of them have ill intent. And, you know, if I need something, I don't care who's going to provide it, I'm going to take it. You know what I'm saying? Unless there are strings attached. And some of those strings attached might be, well, you can only talk about nonviolence. If you start talking about using the Second Amendment to defend yourself and your community, well, we're going to fire you or we're going to cut your funding off. So that is something to be concerned about, in, in my opinion. Right, right. And I agree. And I, I mean, obviously, those were my posts, like you said. So, yes, I agree entirely. Um, some of the information I've read about this, Allegation of uh, Soros funding this protest. What they're getting at, uh, more specifically, I've read, is that there's 33 million dollars that one of his charitable organizations uh, declared in a tax, some kind of tax documents, and they went. The 33 million dollars supposedly went to some of these named um, organizations that have popped up, like the Black Lives Matter is one. Um, and, uh, say her of, name. Uh, say her name. I think was mentioned. The hands up, don't shoot. And they were talking about how the the money was used to um, to basically like pay people to post throughout social media and to boost posts and to keep those slogans circulating. A propaganda so operation. Right, right. And so to me, that is a danger. That's not anything that we should be embracing because it's like we're talking about new abolitions but we're talking about abolition of the system we're talking about various aspects that need to be completely removed I mean there there's no fixing it it needs to go away so this is how you see people undermining the solutions that we're presenting when they've got rich benefactors if that is what has happened but I haven't seen anything as yet that has shown right, that there was right. any actual protesters that were paid and send in the Ferguson or send any place else. I haven't seen that, but I mean, they are showing where these people have had money spent with their organizations to help publicize those messages. So if you think about hands up, don't shoot, becoming popular, um, taking over the narrative, what does it really amount to though? Hands up, don't shoot. What does that really do? That's like fighting for civil rights. We're not fighting for land rights. We're not fighting for water rights, human rights, human rights. We're fighting for civil rights. So, Again, it's control of the narrative. When you talk about Black Lives Matter, again, this is a huge movement that has taken off worldwide. You see people in other countries. I mean, the, the Muslims uh, being attacked with the uh, the Charlie Hebdo deal and the, and these various um, uh, attacks. People, you know, kind of going back and forth with the with the, the characterizations of Muhammad and all this attack on Islam or whatever. You see, and those people pick up Islam. Uh, what was it? Muslim or Arab? Muslim Lives Matter or something. So, so the, People are seeing something in the Black Lives Matter, and I just need to know, what is that really pushing forward as an agenda? What is that really addressing? Are you addressing with Black Lives Matter the women in Tutwiler Prison? Are you addressing with Black Lives Matter 
uh, 70% plus uh, nonviolent drug-related so-called criminal offenses being the main reason why 2.5 million people are in prison. I mean, on and on and on. Are you addressing the no medical care? Are you addressing 36,000 people in mental health institutions state to state, but over 365,000 mentally ill in our prisons with Black Lives Matter? Are you addressing like specific things that you can make a change in that are going to bring some relief to our people so we can move towards actual freedom and the end of slavery? I don't think they are. And well, some of the things you talked about, I'm sorry, Max, you were going to say something? I'll say it after you finish. Well, I was going to say some of the things that you talked about, though. Those tactics are something that we should adapt. And, and many of us do, but I would say not, not, not enough. Not enough. We don't have that critical mass. We don't have like all the people that may have been or may not have been paid to to circulate posts on social media to keep a, a issue or something you know out front a propaganda operation see we we need that we need that as abolitionists and and why we don't have money to go pay people that that's all they do all day long is share all the different podcasts a new abolitionist radio or or any kind of abolitionist material that can be found on, on the web you know that is an effective way to fight a propaganda war and so it, it is very important you know that we share the message of abolitionism just like yeah. they're doing it and, and we don't have the money to pay you but if you're a true abolitionist you know i mean come on you can spend an hour a day you know talking about abolitionists on social media or or, or you know share one post a day or something but we gotta we got to tighten up our game in all facets of people activity yes well, that's what I was going to say in the abolitionist movement, movement, just as it was in its original stages in the 1800s or even before that. It's a potpourri of uh, things. It's not not one single action. You know, we're not all going towards one direction. We got everything from John Brown's to Harriet Tubman's involved in this. Uh, as we've said before, it's death by a thousand cuts. What we have in common is that we want to see slavery abolished in the United States now. We, we want to see an end to buying and selling human beings, working them, raping them, oppressing them, and we want an end to racial institutionalized racial discrimination. So that's what the abolitionist is, it, movement it really is about. It's in the solution. The solution is end slavery. And, How do you end slavery? Right, right. Take and, the exception clause out of the right. Amendment. Right. If, if for individual states put in an amendment that abolishes slavery if you don't have one. So you legally have a framework saying there shall be no slavery, like it says here in Rhode Island's Constitution. And, and then after that, mm -hmm. ban all private prisons from the United States. That is a criminal enterprise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of the things Max talking about, depending upon what state you live in, if you can't find a legislature to sponsor such legislation well if you live in a state that allows direct democracy um i'm forgetting what were they called uh, uh a ballot initiative to do yeah. all those mm -hmm. things so you know yes. there are like max said a thousand ways to to do this to end this slavery but one more thing and, and on george soros uh funding stuff again i'm not i'm not denigrating i'm not seeing anything bad about uh, Michelle Alexander as a person, 
but her her book she was funded by George Soros. What he right. does is, you know, he will through his organization, I think it's called Open Society or something like that. He has these grants to where professors and well anyone can can apply for these grants and then they could take a sabbatical if you're a professor. That means taking a year off of work or whatever so that you can work on something. And that's what she did. And so she got something like either, I, I forgot how many tens of thousands it was, but that allowed her to, to take time off of a regular job and just work on nothing but that book. Now, again, I'm not saying anything bad about her all right, but she is an example of, of someone who was funded by uh, uh, George Soros, a liberal Democrat or or, he, or progressive, whatever label you want to apply to him, a white person, a white male, and and so maybe that's why in her book or you know as she go out and do these lectures, she does not call it slavery. She does not say repeal the Thirteenth Amendment. She doesn't make those. I'm not saying she hasn't shared great information and done a great job in, in publicizing a heinous crime that is occurring, but perhaps her language was watered down because of who was controlling the purse strings. Of course it was. Of course it was. I know we got to take a break. Preaching so. reform instead of abolition. Yes. yes. Well, when we come back from the break, if you if you guys will allow me. I want to read just a short passage from a book called Black Awakening in Capitalist America by Robert Allen, where he's talking uh, specifically about the Ford Foundation, which would be a type of uh, open society or whatever George Soros has got going on now. And the Ford Foundation ain't going nowhere. I mean, it's funded by the Ford Motor Company. Uh, That's how it started. But, but he talks very specifically about how the Ford Foundation became the most important, though least publicized organization that manipulated the black militant movement through the 60s and 70s. Mm. They funded CORE, SCLC, National Urban League, NAACP, and many others. So this is not some new technique, and that's why people, when you hear us talking about this, we're not at all, like there's no, like Max said, we ain't stuttering. We're not at all unsure. We're not just throwing out allegations of conspiracy. We know the history. So when we come back from the break, hopefully we can just give you just a little piece of the history so you can understand what's going on right now. Indeed. And uh, we put the post for the new Ferguson police chief telling all those blatant and disturbing lies. You want to read the rest of that. It's, it's, it's really disconcerting. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio, and we'll be right back after these messages. Exist in a state of vanglorious as we are protected by the red, the black, and the green. Heed the words of the the fourth annual Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Expo kicks off on July 17th through the 19th in Atlanta, Georgia. The Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Expo was established in 2012 by Rooster Fruits and the Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Association for the strong purpose of providing quality culturally based resources, educational training, and support to black African homeschooling, non-homeschooling parents, and educators alike. This work is to assist in the cultivation of excellence and empowerment of our black children. 
The Expo also provides a thriving outlet and platform for small black independent businesses that specialize in retailing and or creating culturally conscious products and or services for the development of our youth. For more information on the Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Expo that will be occurring during the weekend of July 17th through the 19th in Atlanta, go to liberatedmindsexpo.com. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Peace, and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, we was going to get a piece of history from Brother Johanna and Elijah. Uh, Brother Johanna? Oh, and by the way, I do understand we have a caller on the line. We'll get to you after we uh, finish hearing this from Johanna. Yeah, just just briefly, like I said, this uh, this book is I feel a, a must read uh, if you're serious about activism. Uh, obviously, as they say, you you know if you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you're headed. We all drive using not only the windshield but also the the mirrors, so you can see what's behind you and kind of know you know what's going on on the road around you. Um, uh, this is Black Black Awakening in Capitalist America, uh, Robert L. Allen. He's got a he's got a chapter this talking about uh, the social context of black power and he's, and he's talking about the Ford Foundation in this particular chapter and um, how they infiltrated all, all of the major black uh, activist movements, uh, uh, organizations militant and otherwise by funding them uh, on, over the, on the table and under the table or whatever and that gives them a, a place to have a word, have a say so in the narrative which is what we were discussing uh, mm-hmm. before the break um, with mm-hmm. with the situation of Soros possibly uh, funding uh, funding what what uh, is going on with the Black Lives Matter and these other things or whatever. But anyway, I have some history to add to that. And caller, we'll we'll come okay. to you five four eight zero. We're coming to you. Don't hang up. Um, but also adding to the history to that, uh, if you listen to Malcolm X's speech, the uh, message to the grassroots, and he talked yep. about how the march on Washington, D.C. Yep. Uh, was taken over by white, rich liberals and taken out of the hands of the grassroots more radical people and then put into, you know, uh, uh, um, they call, I think Malcolm referred to them as the big six, you know, the more moderate integrationist type black people instead right. of the more radical grassroots people who actually are the ones that started it. So, so again, you do have to be careful. You have to be careful about who you're taking funds from and, and, and if there are any strings attached to those funds. Uh, Indeed. So there's definitely strings attached uh, when you're talking about these billionaire, multi-billion dollar corporations funding you know, people that the rest of society has already shown you that basically see them as being marginal and being basically worthless. So then all of a sudden you got some multi-billion dollar, you know, benefactor that's, that's looking out to make sure you're okay. Yeah, right. Area code 480. Thank you for joining us here on New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, you're on the line with Max, Johanan, and myself. Give us your first name and go ahead with your question, comment, or observation. Good evening, my brothers. I'm so glad that you are continuing this fight and giving us the proper information we need. And my name is Isa, too, and I'm calling from Arizona. Peace, sister, and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. 
Arizona. Arizona got a lot going on when it comes to the prison industrial <laughs> complex, man. Yeah. It truly, truly does. I mean, on all levels, from the children <laughs> on up to the adults. It's uh, big, big money down here. We just reported right. last week on our Hawaii is Ferguson uh, segment that there's a prison in Arizona right now that was built specifically to house Hawaiian residents. So they, they arrest them in Hawaii, and because of the overpopulation there, they made a deal with Arizona to build a prison there. And the people who built the prison, the mayor and vice and uh, deputy mayor, both work full-time for the company that built the prison. It is so corrupt. It's outrageous. And, of course, you guys have a 100% guaranteed occupancy uh, for your prisons out there in Arizona. Yeah, I learned that from listening to your program about the 100% occupancy. But I'm definitely going to share with my Samoan brothers and sisters here in Maricopa County and Hawaiian brothers and sisters that um, they just recently did that because I did not know that until you just said that. And I can't wait to go to church on Sunday to let them know. Yeah, it's so corrupt and terrible the way it's happened. As I said, the mayor and vice mayor are part-time mayor and vice mayor, but full-time work for CCA who built the prison there. Ridiculous. Well, um, the reason why I decided to go ahead and uh, press star 6-1 is uh, you were talking (laughs) about rape earlier. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, I just wanted to just give a little... Uh, my little view of rape and white supremacy. Um, Mm. White supremacy has always used rape as a tool of war and fear. Come on, speak on it. And also, um, before they even got here to this continent, they called North America, and then they later turned into United States Corporation. Uh, In their own countries, they had absolutely no respect for their white women. They treated them like trash. They raped them. They locked them up. They hung them and called them uh, witches. Their own history with their own women is devastating mm. and just nasty. So how do we expect these people with the history of treating their own people less than human to treat anyone else with any kind of dignity? And that was the first right. thing that I had to say. If you could say what you had to say, but uh, I just wanted to bring people back on what kind of people we're dealing with, you know. Again, yeah. Right, again, history. If you know the history of what you're dealing with or who you're dealing with or where you're coming from, then you're going to be able to understand what's going on right now. And no, it's not an anomaly and it's not you know, no, no. yeah, yeah. This is this is par for course under the system of racism, white supremacy, and certainly part rape is is we well we know rape has always been a tool used against not only our black women uh, in slavery pre eighteen sixty five, but even the men and the children. Yes, yeah. That's how people like me came to be uh, multiracials. A lot of us multiracials are uh, can trace our roots back to. One or more of our parents being raped, and here we come. Well, you know, and then, Brother Scotty, you had posted on Facebook about the young lady down in Texas, the the little girl, honestly, because I have uh, teenagers and little children and my, my children, and I wouldn't refer to them as a woman at 14 years old. Right. But um, uh they there's no outcry at all from these so-called feminists when it comes to what was I um, it looked like 
borderline rape to me, honest God, when I was watching it. You know, the way you you ran after her, she's walking away from you. You ran after her, snatched her up, dragged her back. There's no outcry from the so-called feminist community, gay community, anything like that that's saying this is wrong, you know, what happened. And um, that's one thing, Brother Scotty, because I I agree with you on that. But there was a case in Las Vegas that was also posted on Facebook today, and uh, a woman was uh, sexually molested by a deputy inside the holding cell when she was going to family court, and they finally um, settled her lawsuit today about that. But the is thing that the about one where the judge was watching her child? The white, yes, yeah. the white woman judge turned her back. Yeah, that's Sitting there that's what with I the wanted to. Child. Sorry about that. Go yes, ahead. no, sir. Yes, sir. You are on point. But mm-hmm. see, that's what made me think about the history of this white woman and the relationship that she has within her own family dynamic with her white man. The Duggars, the, the so-called Christian 14, 19, and, and, and counting children that went ahead and washed their hands of their own son molesting their sisters. This is the kind of people we're dealing with. They think that rape is okay, molest is all right, it's normal. Torture is fine. I mean, we are really dealing with some psychopaths. Some sociopaths. Yeah. Sociopaths. There you go. They, they, they don't I mean, how do we error. get justice from this kind of people? How do we really You're not change gonna this? Get it? You're not going to get justice from unjust people. You're not going to get freedom in a in a country made off of slavery. You just it's not going to happen. What they say, you can't get blood out of turnip, and you ain't going to get justice out of America. Black autonomy right. is Don't the answer. Don't forget that they left their own country because of what they were enduring there. Right. The, their, you know, don't forget why they even came over here. They were they were enduring torture and slavery and, and a yep. messed up prison system in their own country. Yep, and stealing the well, land from the people. That's why most of them came, because they straight up stole the common land where people could feed themselves, take care of themselves, they protected themselves, they built their homes, built their farms raise their families on their own land. And the government well, my, came in and took the land. And so what do they do when they come here? Do the same thing. Take the land. Do it to other people. Right. right. Do what was yeah. done to them to other people. The case she was talking about there in Vegas where this young lady had come in with her child, and uh, I forget what her case was about, <clears throat> but apparently they decided, the guards decided to take her in the back and frisk her, and they did it taking off her clothes, male guards, and molested her while she was in there. And when she came back out into court, she told the judge what was going on, and the judge took her little child that was with her and started playing with the child, ignoring the woman completely as she told him about being molested. And she, she just let it go. It was the and most this ridiculous. was a white female judge. Yeah. Right. And uh, I believe that she, uh, the charges were pressed against both the uh, bailiff who had done the molesting and the judge as well. And, and I want to say, I, w- I want to say this, and I'm gonna leave it alone. Um, if we need to go over tonight, that's fine. I'm feeling particularly rested today, <laughs> despite <laughs> all the broadcasting. But I mean, not to minimize, I never would minimize domestic violence or anything like that. But going back to what Sister Isatou was bringing up about where these feminists at, all the groups that's, that's, that's taking the NFL to task over domestic violence against, you know, their girlfriends and wives and why we don't see that same level 
of yep. of 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 outrage at what is happening to these women but it's happening to everybody but you know if they care so much about the treatment of women where are they on these cases and these issues i just don't see the same level of indignation or outrage on, on these issues and and so i, I you know but I, I think that again racial dynamics are at play because you know most of the nfl players are black men and that just plays into that 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 media narrative that we are monsters and and whatnot so um yeah i just wanted to add that Cause that Tutwiler thing again is 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 sick, man. Yeah. yeah, we've been reporting on that now for almost two years, trying to bring attention to it, because it hasn't just occurred. This has been going on for a decade, and you're talking about 800 women, predominantly black, who are being molested on a regular basis because if they need toothpaste or tampons or toothbrush or some toilet paper, they need to give somebody a blowjob or some anal sex or some plain sex or some sick something for these guards who are not being prosecuted for what's happening. Instead, yes, they're being explained. Um, I almost forgot, but the, um, there was a personal story I wanted to share about juvenile detention. Uh, I was locked up in juvenile detention as a young girl, and I probably deserved to be there because this, this white girl slapped me, and I bit, the, I bit her so hard. But anyway, whatever. No, you did not um, deserve to be there. You right. deserve well, some correction. You know how black people are. We have a we have a thing of judging ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Harsher than other people. So that's probably why I think that way. But no. let me anyway. Anyway, okay. let me get to the point. When I was in there, um, there the older girls were um, performing sexual acts with the guards. Now, see, these young women were molested anyway because they told me their story, and we talk and whatever. So they were already sexual abuse victims, and they were in the juvenile detention center. Most of us were in foster care, by the way, which uh, the sisters that told me their stories, there was two of them, their parents were in jail. That's why they were in foster care. So um, I witnessed these young ladies going through this abuse, but see, it was a cycle of abuse because they were molested in the foster home. Then they, they their frustration and their sexual, you know, frustration and, and confusion led them into other activities in in the community. Then they get locked up, and then my point is, there's a lot of women that are locked up in there that started off as children of vi- being victims as children, and then they go into these as life goes on and circumstances end up, and there's no opportunity. Next thing you know, they're in the prison penitentiary, and they're continuing this act as well as in participating and things like that. And I just want to give a shout-out to those sisters that you've not forgotten. I love you. I know why you chose prostitution. I know why you chose drugs. I know why you're there, you know. And and um, I love you, and I'm praying for you, and I'll never forget. And I do believe that women need to start having pen pals of women that are in these penitentiaries because a lot of people don't understand that men are getting pen pals and they got communication, but there's a lot of women that are sitting in there and they ain't got nobody to talk to. They are just on their own. And so I think our sisters should start locally. I have uh, five pen pal um, women that are in jail uh, right now, and I do what I can, but I'm not rich. I'm a poor woman, but at least I write a letter. 
you know, I sent a card to encourage and sisters to let them know that there is somebody out there. And I have shared with them your radio show to let them know there are men out there. Because there's a lot of these sisters gave up on men. Mm. There are black men out there that care about your situation, sister, and they are trying to work to change things to get us out of this. And I just wanted to put that out there in the universe and on the air to let, you know, just get that off my heart. I've got a wonderful wife that I've spent the last 27 years with. We have three daughters, and I've got four granddaughters. You know I care. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right, and I feel the love, you know, and, and just whatever we can do. I mean, a right, good old-fashioned snail mail is still there. Right, out, people listening, contact your local prisons and start writing people in there. Their information is public. Just start writing these people and letting them know we do care about you. We love you. We, you are not forgotten. And there's you a bunch know? Poets that run across the juvenile detention facilities all over the country, visiting them and uh, sharing their knowledge and and inspiring them and giving them hope. And I, I know a lot of them personally. I'm one of them. I regularly visit the juvie detention facilities as as often as I can and talk to them directly. And I I don't pull no punches. I let them know why they're in there and what's happening to them because they don't know. They think it's them more often than not. They think they're the ones that are problems. That they're just criminals, but they don't understand all the circumstances that brought them to where they are at that point in time. And that's why I was saying, uh, Sister Isitude, no, you did not belong to be there. You might have deserved some sort of correction, but there is no proper correction going on in in these facilities. And and you just told us the abuses that you witnessed. So you was a victim, too. We definitely appreciate you sharing your perspective with us, my sister. And uh, thank you for calling in here to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, please keep on sharing the knowledge. We feel that it's one of the most important things we can do is to let people know what's going on. Because once you know something, you become responsible for what you know. Especially the ones that are behind bars. You know, they need to know that there is a beacon out there. Don't let them just think that they're on their own. Share with them that's behind bars. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers. I'm going to still listen. Of course. <laughs> right. Have a good night. Have a good night. Q&AQ is cleared. Johanna, we were talking about the Ferguson police chief, the new Ferguson police chief and his lies and garbage that he's spreading, this racial fallacies and falsehoods as he's putting forward as truths as a police chief. But there's things that contradict everything he's saying, and one of them being what's going on in these municipalities in St. Louis County, how they're profiting from poverty. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, we uh, we have again. I mean, that's the whole reason for uh, America is Ferguson is after we went in on the DOJ report that came out about Ferguson and uh, finding out just you know that Ferguson is not even the worst uh, municipality you know in in Central Missouri. I mean, it, it, Ferguson was far behind many of the other uh, small cities and towns that were right there around it. So I found an article from the Washington Post. Um, uh, written by uh, one of my Facebook friends, Radley Balco. He's the author of a book called uh, Rise of the Warrior Cop, where uh, he's discussing, obviously, you know, the militarization of the police and the, and the, the, the rise of that whole 
the police state and all this type of thing. But he's he's a he's he has not he's another one of these people that we we give him abolitionist credit for the things that they talk about, whether they call themselves abolitionists or not. I'm interested in what you're doing. Maybe it's not so much what you call yourself. So um, he uh, he went on a ride along with um, some St. Louis, Missouri area uh, defense lawyers who were discussing with him the same things we talk about, how their clients, you know, people of color, black folks being being uh, tick, uh, targeted all the time. And just like we showed in the in the Missouri um, attorney general's uh, report, which they do a yearly report. This didn't just happen because of Michael Brown. The Missouri attorney general and many of these attorneys general across the country put out a racial profiling report for their state's uh, various counties, they amass all the numbers of police stops and all this type of thing, and you can see for yourself, state to state. Anyway, Missouri showed Ferguson obviously had uh, 27,000 residents. Um, some 16,000 of those were people who were over age 16 that were drivers. Um, and then out of those people, they showed how many were stopped and how many were black, how many were Hispanic, Asian, white, uh, how many had contraband on them, how many had warrants. All these things are all detailed. Well, on this ride-along, the defense attorneys, and there's a video that goes along with it, so I'll post a link uh, to the New Abolitionist Radio page, so it's definitely a good video to watch just to see. As they're explaining to the reporters what they're going to see on the ride-along, it's happening. They can't even tell them, okay, when we get on this highway here, usually you see, you know, this is this little small town here. Uh, we're in Florissant right now. Uh, you'll see there's always speed traps set up right here. This is a six-block area. There's three different speed limits within those six blocks. Uh, cops litter the roads all here waiting on somebody to be one mile over. They stop them, stop them, stop them. Now we're in Hazelwood, which is 10 blocks away from there. There's uh, five more speed traps all set up here. And this is a daily operation. And there's something like 10 or 12 little cities all up and down I-70, the little small towns, and they incorporate themselves so they can do what Ferguson was doing, which we heard from the transcripts of their city council meeting when the city manager told the, the chief of police at that time, Tom Jackson, you need to get more revenues out of the police so we can raise up our yearly budget. And they went from $1 million in 2010 to over three, I think it was $3.4 million by 2014. And all of that revenue was generated off of traffic stops traffic and the warrants. Stops. Yeah, and the warrants and the courts and all this stuff that goes along with that. So, right. with all that said, from this story, there's a particular part of the story that's talking about this young sister named Nicole Bolden, the 32-year-old black single mother um, uh, who was caught in an, in an accident. Somebody made an illegal U-turn in front of her, and uh, she wasn't at fault for the accident, and she was willing to just, you know, to go on her way or whatever. But the other motorist, motorist insisted on calling on the police is according to Missouri state law, some areas anyway, the law. Uh, when officer showed up, she was afraid because she had some warrants from all this same type of hyper-policing and all this type of thing. She says he was really nice and polite at first, uh, but once he ran my name, he got real mean with me. Now, even though she was just in a car accident and she's got uh, uh, two little kids in the car with her at the time, this guy goes from trying to help her at the accident to, I'm about to take you to jail. Uh, he told me I was going to jail. I had my three-year-old and my one-and-a-half-year-old with me. I asked him about my kids. He said, I better find someone to come and get them because he was taking me in. Uh, the Florissant officer arrested and cuffed Bolden in front of her children. Her kids remained in the car with another officer until Bolden's mother and sister could come pick them up. The officer found that Bolden had had, had four arrest warrants in three separate jurisdictions, the town of Florissant, 
the town of Hazelwood, um, and then in the town of Forestdale, all of the warrants were for failure to appear in court for traffic violations. Bolden hadn't appeared in court because she didn't have the money. A couple of those fines were for speeding. One was for failure to wear a seatbelt, and most of the rest were are for, for what defense attorneys in St. Louis area have come to call poverty violations, which is things like driving with a suspended license, an expired plate, or an expired registration, or a failure to provide proof of insurance. So these are the kind of violations that, and this is very common. I'm in Kansas City, which is maybe four hours away from St. Louis. We got the same thing going on here. You get into the this inner city areas. It's not as many cities like incorporated all up and down the line, but you get into the inner city area. There's a much higher risk of a person being pulled over for these same types of things. You see, you know, so many people going to court every week after week after week. So many people lost their licenses for years, on and on and on, and it's all behind the same type of thing. Didn't have enough money to get the new registration. You still got to go to work. And when I get paid, then we can get the tags. Well, you don't make it to get to payday. You're going to get pulled over the week of payday, and now the whole thing goes to hell in the handcart. This could take years from your life. Well, this is taking years from her life. Again, like the DOJ report that we studied from Ferguson, where they talked about the woman that had a parking ticket for $150, that 10 years later she was $1,500 in the hole to the damn city of Ferguson. People, this is not, these are not anomalies. This is the system. This is how it's set up. When I saw the video, Johanna, because you was like, Max, you need to check out the video. And I watched the video. And, you know, I, I, I'm visual and poetic, so mm -hmm. I moved my perspective to an above level to watch. Imagine watching this from above, like a helicopter. Mm -hmm. And in my mind's eye, it was like watching uh, piranha swarm around the meat. Like, you know, you're driving through and here comes the piranha. You got four or five cop cars around you for what? Because you were going two miles over the speed limit or your uh, your tag was from out of town. And they had these little islands that they had. They basically were running. Each one had like a two or three block area for each yeah. uh, uh, municipality. And they were just waiting for people to show up. So if this municipality snatched that woman, you know what, I'm going to get this one. And it's just like watching sharks or barracudas feeding on people's flesh. Yeah. And when they do these things, to some people, missing a week's paycheck means you lose everything. You lose your house, your car, everything. And they're taking more than a week's paycheck from them. As you said, this woman owned, ended up owing, what was it, $1,500? Yep. And, you know, you're, you're making $7, $8 an hour. Where are you going to get that? Ten years later, mind you. This was ten years of her life that had passed while she was in and out of jail two weeks at a time, a month at a time, because if you can't pay in a lot of these jurisdictions, they just go ahead and put you in jail, debtor's prison, straight up. So right, and gone, they know that. All that. Yeah. They, yeah. They know that's the outcome. We're going to make money on you if you pay the fines, and you're going to pay the fines or go to jail. And if you go to jail, we're going to get that money for you being in our jails. And if you can't pay the fines to get out of jail or the bail bondsmen to, to get out of jail, then you're going to go to prison, and we're going to make money on you there. So however it happens, once you get into the system with these traps they set up, you may be gone for good. So, uh, I don't know, do we do we need to take a break here, uh, Scotty Reed? Yes, sir. All right, okay, well, we're right, yeah, on, we're gonna, right on time for a break. Perfect. Well, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and Johanna Nalaya. We're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. We'll be right back after these messages.
live in Houston, Texas, you are invited to the Sundiata Coley Shaka Sankofa Community Garden on the first Saturday of the month up until September to learn gardening skills from the head gardener and build together with the community. They are looking for people to come out ready to work and get their hands dirty. You do not have to have any experience in gardening. All food grown from the garden is available to the community. The garden was named after Sundiata Akoli, who is a political prisoner that has been enslaved for more than 40 years, and comrade in struggle, Shaka Sankofa, who was killed June 22nd in 2000. Sundiata, when asked what we can do in support of the political prisoner, said, build a garden. We must be able to do for self in the name of self-determination. The garden is located at 2428 sophomore in Houston, Texas. Again, come out on the first of every month starting around 7 o'clock a.m. If you have an event that is free and open to the public and want to announce it on Black Talk Radio, send an email to admin at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Make sure you tune in next week. We're going to have a special guest, Kevin Alexander Gray, come in. He's the lead organizer at the Harriet Tubman Freedom House Project and a worker at the Freedom House Press and Media. He's also the author of Killing Trayvons, an anthology of American violence. And furthermore, he's a neighbor of mine here in Columbia, South Carolina. So I'm looking forward to speaking with him next week. Yeah, that ought to be pretty good. That ought to be good. <clears throat> so before the break, we were trying to get into this uh, thing here. We're going to move on. I know we got to move on here fairly quickly. As Scotty's giving us some t- extra time, but we don't want to use it, use too much. Uh, so with this sister Bolden, I'll be quick to, to get through with her story because this is something people need to hear. This is this is a case of what is the common thing happening. So if you care, Black Lives Matter, you care about black women, you want to say her name, you care about all these things that lead to people dying, uh, lead to people being in prison and all of that, this is a person's daily life that we're telling you. This is the norm of people out here. So, okay. So... Took her first to jail because she had all these warrants and all these different little speed trap cities along the highway on her way to work or whatever. Florissant officer took Bolden to the jail in that town first where she posted a couple hundred dollars bond and was released around midnight. Then she was taken to Hazelwood, held at the jail there until she could post a second bond. That was another couple hundred dollars. She, was, she wasn't released from her cell there until around 5 p.m. the next day. So this, this woman, this is going on day after day. She's going from jail to jail to jail. Ain't seen her kids. Exhausted, stressed. Still worried about where her kid, what her kids had seen, she was finally taken to the St. Charles County Jail for the outstanding warrant in Forestdale. Why the county jail? Because the tiny town of 500 isn't large enough to have its own holding cells. Even it's 500 people, but they just got a revenue generation machine. There's 500 people, they don't have a sale. They send her to another sale, but they gonna get that money. Um, doesn't have its own mayor. It has a board of aldermen, a, a municipal court in a seven-member police department. It's best known locally for it being a speed trap set along I-70. By the time Bolden got to St. Charles County, it had been well over 36 hours since the accident she was in. 
I hadn't slept, she said. I was still in my same clothes. I was starting to lose my mind. That's when she says a police officer told her that if she couldn't post bond, they'd keep her in jail until May, which is like a month away. I just freaked out, she said. I said, what about my babies? Who's going to take care of my babies? She said the officer looked at her and shrugged. It's different inside those walls. They treat you like you don't have emotions. I know I've had a heavy foot, but I also have kids, and I have I have to work to support them. I have also been taking classes, so sometimes I'm running late. When I'm late, I tend to speed, but I'm still a human being. Well, that was her second arrest. In 2009, she was arrested in the town of Bell Ridge for a warrant on a speeding ticket. On that occasion, she remained in jail for three more days before Michael John Voss, the co-founder of the legal aid group called Arch City Defenders, helped to get her out. This time, Voss couldn't help uh, couldn't help her right away, though. Forrestale holds municipal court only once every two weeks. So you can't even get out of jail. You got to stay for two weeks mandatory because they don't even have a damn court. Mm-hmm. How does that make sense to anybody? How does that even how is that even possible that you could just arrest me on a speeding ticket? You could just take me in and I just automatically got two weeks in jail, no matter what the what the crime is. If you take me in, I have to stay there for two weeks until I can see a judge. That is some bull, man. She says, I was crying. Um, Voss says she was crying. He tried to explain to her what was going on, told her about the situation, whatever, whatever. Um, so he's upset and all. So that goes in there. Anyway, Forrestale warrant stemmed from a speeding ticket in 2011. As mentioned before, she didn't show up because she didn't have the money to pay, and she feared she was going to be put in jail on the spot. So she didn't even go to court because she's like, I don't have the money, and all they're going to do is throw me in jail. So if I can make it out here, I'm going to stay out, keep getting money, taking care of my family. I'm going to try to pay, but... You know, it is what it is. She's in jail now. It's a common and unfortunate misconception among St. Louis County residents, especially those who don't have an attorney to tell them otherwise. A town supposedly cannot put you in jail for lack of the money to pay a fine, but you can be jailed for not appearing in court to tell the judge why you can't pay. And then you're going to be fined again for not showing up. After twice failing to appear for the Forestdale <laughs> ticket, Bolden showed up, uh, showed up, was able to get the warrant removed and set up a payment plan with the court. But she says that a few months later, she was a couple days late with her payment. She says she called to tell the court clerk who told her, do not worry. Instead, though, the town hit her with another warrant. Yeah, don't worry. We'll see you in a couple days. Oh, God. This is all one person. Her bond was set at $1,700. No one knew that no one that she knew even had that kind of money. She broke down, cried, screamed, started cussing, died, died, whatever. She remained in jail for two more weeks. Now, mind you, at this point, she don't have a job. I don't care who you are. You've been in jail for a month or whatever. You don't have a job now. We got to move on with our operations. So she's out of a job, soon to be out of a place to live, I'm sure. Her family has put their lives on hold to take care of her daycare, take care of feeding and clothing and washing and taking care of kids back and forth to school because she's in jail. Um, So she had to stay two more weeks. They, they wouldn't let her. She would, didn't want her kids to see her in jail. Da, 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 all this stuff. She says she missed another job interview while she was there. Fell behind in her paralegal studies while she's at school. Finally got her day in court. She was told to change out of the orange jail jumpsuit that they had given her to wear, which she had been wearing for three straight days, and had been. Uh, she had to change back into the clothes that had been in a bag since she had been in jails for the last two weeks. So she put in, went in the courtroom, faced the judge, handcuffed, dirty. And in dirty clothes that had been, she said she had been marinated in her own filth. I was funky, I was sad, and I was mad. I smelled bad, I was handcuffed, I missed my kids. I didn't even feel like a person anymore. This is behind traffic. 
we're not talking about this woman committed no crimes and was out here wilding out and doing. She was. She had a speeding ticket. And that's how some women end up at Wallace Prison. Exactly. Exactly. So I just wanted to share more details of her situation. And just like we talked about the sister from the DOJ report out of, out of Ferguson, it's very similar. We talked about people in Alabama when we were talking about the policing for profit and the probation for profit uh, systems. The Ferguson is America series. So this is going on around the country. We talked about 14 different states. Where probation for profit, which is an extension of this, what we just discussed here, is legal going on in 14 different states, Minnesota, Michigan, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, Tennessee, Texas, on and on, where it's legal. If you get in these kind of situations where you got these warrants for traffic and all this, they can sick a probation company on you that has the authority to put you in jail if you cannot make a payment. People... What else do you need to to see tyranny? What else do you need to understand police state? What else do you need? So that's the end of that. Uh, I don't know. Y'all want to move on? Uh, we got the Idaho the Idaho representative calling saying slave uh, slave owners were good people, and we can move into our Idaho and Ferguson. <laughs> uh, Are you? Well, I do want to just point out uh, something about one other story, and yeah. that's the story about the private prisons that are. Uh, bribing judges to jail more inmates and apparently they have this prison guard and he's not the first to come out and as a witness tell exactly what's happening in this video and this video has been highly shared on the abolitionist radios upwards of 500 or so on so so odd shares so people are, are vibrating with understanding this but i just want to point out that not this story ties up with what we did last week when we uncovered that these magistrates, these small-time judges across America don't have a legal education. Some of them don't have a high school education, and yet they're working with these private prisons to put your children in jail, to put your family members in the prisons because they didn't pay a traffic fine or a traffic ticket. And many of these judges who are being bribed by these prisons, as I said, are uh, small-time, uneducated judges who are highly susceptible to corruption and racism. Hmm. What, did, what, what did the one say we read last week? He said, I just do what I think is right, and right, I don't right. damn about no laws. Right. <laughs> like, straight up. You're the judge? What? Hmm. Straight up, man. Um, straight, off, so, straight out of Mayberry. Hey, we have uh, um, another caller, um, 305-305- uh, you're on New Abolitionist Radio with Max Johanan and myself. Please give us your name and go ahead with your question, comment, or observation. Yes, gentlemen, good evening. This is Kwaku. I'm in Miami, Florida. Peace yes, and welcome to New Abolitionist. Peace, bro. Appreciate y'all. Brother? Yes, peace, peace. I appreciate y'all and, and the, uh, the work you've done. I listen to you from time to time. Just happen to tune in this evening. And I wanted to kind of just maybe advance the conversation just a little bit and say, you know, knowing that what you say is true, and, 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 and you, know, you mentioned, uh, I think, a food cooperative on one of your commercials in Houston. That's my old stomping grounds at TSU. So I appreciate you mentioning that. But, but going a step further, knowing that what you're saying is true about, you know, the CCA, the prison being stacked with our folks, and corruption with magistrates, and you're correct, many magistrates do not have law degrees, they're not lawyers, the whole nine. Knowing everything is true, you know, where do we go from here? And I say this because 
you know, if we want to change the system, we have to run for office, get elected, and, and our folks need to be, be cognizant of what's happening so that we, they can actually go out and vote, those who, who have not had their voting privileges removed. So what, you know, where do we go from there? Because I don't see a lot of discussion about, okay, let's get elected. I don't see a lot of discussion. I see a lot of say, folks saying, oh, the system's not right, let's march again. But I don't see, you know, let's arm ourselves. I don't see let's file for election in this district when no one runs and the white guy who has won for the last 20 years has been unopposed in the last five elections. So, you know, knowing everything that's happening, I have to be honest with you and just be real. My patience wears thin mm-hmm. when our folks don't react with the power moves that are necessary to go ahead and counteract the system. The Ford Foundation agree with you 100%. They co-opt our, our organizations. And I, it's hard for me to even say our organization when they co-opted them. So, and, and, I can, and I can respond to that firsthand. You know, I was uh, uh, politically active years ago, very politically active, and I, many times I had the white guy come to me and say, hey, next time this happens, come to me. We can work it out. And I saw how the co-opting occurs firsthand, uh, along with money. So, you know, the system's corrupt. We know that. But what do we do to counteract it? real moves, meaningful moves that can make changes? Because well, the marching kind of hurts me when I continue to see it in 2015. Yes. I, I think we could all answer in different ways. I will say <clears throat> that we study the abolitionist movement of, uh, in its historical perspective and what they did. And we often try to repeat their successes and avoid their mistakes. That's one of the things that we do here. That's why we come from a many-pronged approach, which include not only the rebellious side, uh, the John Brown aspect, but also the Frederick Douglass aspect as uh, working within the uh, institutions themselves. And we have people who are working within the institutions like uh, Nikema Levy-Pounds, who is calls herself the abolitionist attorney and is also the head of the Minnesota NAACP now. So we have people like that working there. We also have brothers like uh, um, Amoja Ajabu out of Indiana, who was the first uh, congressional candidate to run on an abolitionist platform since 1848, since John Quincy Adams. So we're covering all aspects that we can. Me personally, I'm very anti-political because I understand that this entire system that we have is bad. I would prefer that we start a people's government to mirror the government that we have now and challenge it for authority on an international uh, recognition scale. That's what I would say, because we have to clean our house before we can try to make anything different. As long as the same people like these people who are taking $10,000 a plate uh, dinners for their campaigns out in Florida, I believe that was happening in Florida with your governor. As long as those people are in power, we really can't make any headway because they're going to stop us every chance that they get. We're talking about their livelihoods. We're talking about billions of dollars in assets that they uh, enjoy. They're not just going to step aside because we decide to vote them out. <laughs> you know, we're not going to vote them well, out. Well, well, hold on now. If, if if they get voted out, they could run in two or four years, what have you. But that is where the change is made. You you, you say you want uh, about the magistrates, for instance. That's right. a change that is made on the state and local level 
whether magistrates are elected or appointed, what have you. That's a change that's made legislatively. Well, and, one and of the things... The, legal, the, 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 the law is being changed. So, if you know, we can talk about it, but if we don't go to get elected to change that specific law, the talk <clears throat> is less than cheap. One of the things that was mentioned earlier was was ballot initiatives. When we point out in different states that we have studied, all the states we have actually studied to see what the language in the Constitution says about practicing legalized slavery, and then we say if your state is one of the uh, states that allow ballot initiatives where you just have to collect a certain amount of, of signatures to get something on a ballot and then, you know, it's put before the voters, that, that that's a way of direct democracy. Uh, we know for a fact that that many of these politicians are controlled by the corporations, and 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 I'm saying like, okay, for example, people know about Alec, okay, L uh, L, excuse me, A L E C. Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Conference, I think, where these legislators go to these conferences and then the legislation criminalizing people is already written for them and they go back and then they implement it. Earlier today, Absolutely. earlier today, I um, did an interview with, um, um, uh, what's the brother name? David Johnson Sr. out of Baltimore. And he wrote a book on the drug war and saying, you know, there are no black drug kingpins. And he did extensive research. And, and we were, uh, uh, discussing. I asked him the question. I said, you know, you have laid out a lot of information from your research in how these politicians and, and these government agencies are facilitating the drug trade. Let me ask you this question. Are our black political leaders, black political caucus, are they in on it too? And he's like, absolutely they in on it. And so money, we all know, has a corrupting effect. And so, you know, I'm not saying don't run for office. Um, you know, you, I'm sure, brother, you've heard the saying that politics is local. You know what I'm saying? So we should be right. seeking public office. We should be running to be judges. Uh, we got a great chief district, uh, judge here where I live is a black man who was part of the, uh, uh, black liberation movement back in the day, even though, you know, they call it civil rights movement. But in, anyway, yeah, we should be seeking them. I'm actually trying to find out, well, you know, what, what is the qualifications for a magistrate in the state of North Carolina? And maybe I might, you know, <laughs> will seek after that. You know, is it an elected position or, or, or what? What do I have to do? Because I certainly will be telling a lot of these cops, no, you don't have probable cause. You don't have enough evidence. And, and, and working from the inside to sabotage 21st century slavery and human trafficking. But Max, now Max is a anarchist. And there's a lot of us who, who don't believe in government. Okay. And, and, and so I believe in black autonomy. And like one of the things that, that Johanan was talking about, how we look at it historically. And one of our ancestors, what he did was he started buying up property, as much property as he could buy to provide a safe space for black people. And so we have to get to black autonomy where we're actually controlling our community and everything in our community. Right now we don't control anything. Hey Scotty, Listen, if I, I might agree with you. Go I'm ahead, sorry, brother. Sorry, brother. If I just Forgive might me. add into that uh, as we speak right now, there's another conference call going on that I was invited to uh with the Sankuba move- movement 
where these brothers and sisters are getting together with their resources and money and buying uh, property up to and including an entire town in Oklahoma in order to create black autonomy there and build their own homes and businesses and work from there. And uh, they're supposed to be recording it so I can listen to the recording after our program tonight. So there are people out there working on those issues, trying to create that black autonomy. But my warning to them is, is the same thing I would say to anybody else. Throughout history, they've tried to do this. We've reported on this right here, abolitionists who have went and bought property out in Missouri and places like that, an entire exodus of 50,000 black people, the, I think they called them the dusters or something like that, came and moved into these areas. And what happened was the surrounding communities started depressing them. They raised their prices and wouldn't sell them particular goods. They wouldn't do business with them. They uh, vandalized their homes and properties. And in every case, it was a failure because of that. They had to try to exist with an enemy territory. And Max, Even, doesn't that go to what you just said, though? Learning from the mistakes. So they, right. Yeah, learning from the mistakes. You uh, have to find a way made. to avoid and, that happening to you. And, and, and yes, and listen, I, I, I'm not saying that you know we can wave a magic wand and everything will be solved no way right. but but there is a there is a definite lack of a of a serious movement you mentioned some folks that are doing some things i agree i can mention some folks who are doing some things as well but but the key is with with they're killing us yes we're yes. getting killed genocide and yet and yet and yet you see no big ground swell among our folks to say no more, we're moving and we're stopping this now. It, you see it in little pockets, small pockets, mm-hmm. but not the groundswell where you know that they rise to the level of counteracting what's being done. They are killing us mm-hmm. and walking away free. Mm-hmm. Yet mm-hmm. no groundswell of activity. Secondly, let me also mention you mentioned brother about being a magistrate and telling the officers they don't have probable cause to do whatever. Well, you can do that, but the reality of magistrates is the magistrate is on call in the evening when someone goes to get a warrant, they'll just wait until you're not the magistrate that's on call. Right, right, until right. Your white friend is there, and they'll get the warrant with no problem. So, right. So, so that doesn't that doesn't remedy the scenario. The scenario is to get elected so that you can now change the way magistrates act and the laws that magistrates have to follow. Mm-hmm. That's the answer. Yeah. And, and, and again, we are reticent to get involved, lock, stock, and barrel in this political process. We trust and we allow the so-called blacks that have gone before us to handle this business, and they're not doing it. The Congressional Black Caucus, just not doing it. I actually talked with a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. I don't know if from Atlanta, Georgia, but from the higher regions of Atlanta, which is close to Midtown, I walked with this legislator down to five points, which is about eh, a good mile, mile and a half. Happened to see the legislator and said, hey, aren't you so-and-so? Gave him some dap. We we started walking just talking. And I says, tell me what's up with the CBC. He says, man, I get more respect from Republicans than I do from the CBC. How about that? So that's the challenges of, 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 of politics and, and why. And like you said, brother, there's no magic wand. There's no simple solution. Um, but, but I do believe more than ever that we need to, let me answer this question. You, your, your question is why? Your question was why we're not doing this, why we're not doing that. 
I will have to say in terms of the masses, because you did acknowledge there are small pockets of conscious people who are doing things. I, I don't have any complaints about the community that I live in. Okay, we are not being preyed upon by police and stuff like that. You know, once we leave the safety of our community, that's a different story. But, but the masses of the people, we can say, you know, Look at the miseducation that they're getting. Look at the media that they're consuming. You know, even if you're not a person, and I'm not talking about rap music or anything like that, even though that's a part of, you know, destroying a person's mind. But even if you just watching, let's say MSNBC or ABC and, you know, you watching that type of media, what H. Rap Brown called white people's media, they're still practicing deception and we are not getting the correct information and people are not being informed in the way that they should be be informed and so i feel like you know we all should pick i feel like not spread ourselves out too thin and that we should as individuals play to our strengths and my strength is media my strength is organizing media the technology side of it and 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 helping people to see the importance of that and teaching people how to be the media that they want to see and help them find the tools and how to use the tools so that's my area that is my area and and i feel like you know that we all have a role to play and and so but through media because we know malcolm said media is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet then we can then we can better uh inform our people educate our people have conversations like we're having with you and come up with with uh, uh realistic solutions that we yes. can then implement and that just may take and some bro- time brother and and, and and brother finally let me just say this and i i hear you and listen you are doing a wonderful job with the black talk radio there's no question about it i wish more of our folks would listen i try to spread the word some folks don't really get it, but yeah, I try. Thank but, you. but but here's the key: in this day and age, you know, our people are walking around with a literal uh, library in their pocket, right? With their Android phones and iPhones, mm-hmm. and yet and yet we don't get the dissemination of information like we should. Yet they've got a library and then some. Yes, in the their history pocket. of the world in their pocket. Mm-hmm. But and, 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 and so so at some point now, and I'm just gonna be real with you, at some point we've gotta start saying, you know what, we can't rescue everybody, let's take these that want to go and get them on board. That's realistic. Some of, some, yeah. of, some of our folks just aren't with it, man. Yeah, and, that's and, realistic. And this, this some of our folks me, are against us. Well, amen. But 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 and I'm trying to be charitable here. Just say they're not with it. I I don't want to go with that against us because now we start to go with COINTELPRO Pro and all this other stuff. But 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 I, I, I'm saddened because our folks just are not moving in any kind of lockstep to try to offset this stuff, and and the millions of us that are in the inner cities whose children are being taught by other black folks, mm-hmm. we can't blame white folks for that mm-hmm. because we're teaching our own children to be in the cities, which is where where many of us overwhelmingly live, and so we can't blame whitey for that, but yet our kids aren't learning. It's so crazy. That's why, hey, brother, did you hear the earlier promo? And I'm running it regularly on the station, the uh, uh, Black Home Schoolers uh, uh, Education Expo. This is the fourth annual one. Uh, Is Is that out of Atlanta? Yes, out of Atlanta, yes. I actually, yeah, and the brother there in Atlanta, I think he's in the West, and I believe I'm familiar with him. Uh 
Manzinga or something is his last name. Well, I, I interviewed a female that's associated with it. I can't recall probably, her. Probably his wife. It's probably his wife. She has braids, if I'm not mistaken. But, but yes, I'm very familiar with their homeschooling efforts, and I did hear that promo. And, yeah, 100% in favor of that, no question. But, you know, with the homeschooling, you'll get our folks to say, oh, we can't do the homeschooling. We've got to support our public schools, which is ludicrous. Because <laughs> public schools aren't educated. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I do want to so, anyway. add one more thing on here uh, is that we're dealing with new phenomenons. You know, in 1970, there was a prison population of only 230,000 people across the United States of America. Prior to that, even Martin Luther King and Malcolm X weren't so much on prison leasing and convict leasing and chain gangs because it wasn't so uh, huge as it is now. Here we are now with 2.5 million people who are incarcerated and 24 million going in and out of our jail systems every year. And this has only happened over the course of just basically one lifetime. So it's a new phenomenon that many of us don't even recognize. Hell, most of us aren't even aware that the 13th Amendment has an exception clause in it. For 150 years, we run around thinking that slavery was abolished when right there in our faces it was there to tell us it wasn't. In so terms, it's the new phenomenon that we have yeah. to bring to people's attention. In terms of getting information out to 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 the people, and you know, there are a lot of other independent black media, you know, operations that are are existing on the internet. And I can't speak to what kind of audience they're getting, but for all the people like you, brother, who said that you tell people about it about this network, and others have said the same to me this week that I've been sharing and telling people about Black Talk Radio. We have experienced positive growth for eight straight months. So people are are tuning in, and we're hoping that those other independent black outlets out there that are putting out conscious information and and, and having these conversations are experiencing that same kind of growth. Yeah, and I hope you all are, are, you know, jointly advertising each other's stations to, to, you know, share the listenership and and multiply each other because – I think uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, something that would, would definitely help everyone to grow, uh, you know, in quantum leaps as opposed to just, you know, trickle. I believe that once we face the real issue, the truth, that slavery never ended, we've got enough brilliant people in this country to come up with some answers on how to solve this problem. I think our biggest concern would being very aware, aware that we can be bamboozled, just like we were bamboozled in 1865 with that exception clause. We have to be very aware that they are ready, willing, and, and able to do the same thing again. So 50 years from now, our grandchildren will suffer the uh, issues of what we place into position today. But you what you're saying, Max... Uh, <clears throat> What what you saying? This Johanna, uh, Max. What you saying with that uh, is the same thing that we've talked about before with addressing these uh, conferences and people that you know want to come together and uh, think tanks and what can we do and whatever. The abolitionist message speaks to what what the call brother what you're saying to us about politically and what we need to do and coming together and all these different things you're speaking to. The abolitionist basic message addresses all of that with the first and foremost operative thing that we have to do which is end slavery once we actually once we actually end slavery then we can move towards freeing the slaves 
we've got to get our people back out of the prison system. We have to get our people out from underneath <clears throat> the police, which are slave catchers, out from underneath police tyranny, un un police terrorism, police occupation. Once we get our people back out of the prisons and get our people from out from underneath the boot of the police, then we can make a move towards getting reparations for the, the casualties that we have sustained in this prolonged so-called war on drugs. We Black people don't get reparations for slavery from the 14, 15, 16, 17, 1800s because supposedly that wasn't a war. We only give reparations to the Japanese because it was wartime. We give reparations to the Jews because it was wartime. Once we end slavery, once we get our people back, once we demonstrate the war on drugs, the war on crime, these things destroyed our communities and destroyed literally our people, then we get the reparations under wartime effect. That, well, with the reparations, well, is when we can get black autonomy because we will actually have people, resources. human resources, as well as financial resources. Until well, we end well, slavery, now, we can't do anything else. Well, well let, let me just say, the reparations is something that is near and dear to my heart, and I'll tell you why. You know, asking the white man to give money to us, I don't think that's where it's at. What, you know, this is the United States of America. You don't ask, you take here. And so we have to go and take that money. <laughs> I and, liked and, it. <laughs> and, well, well, let's just be real with it. And, and we are very weak when it comes to being proactive against whitey and doing it in a, in a chess type of fashion. Where, they, where you can declare checkmate. We got you. We've been, slaves very, the, we've been slaves the entire time we've been engaged with white folks in the new world. I'm not, we've, we've I, been, I've never been enslaved, sir. I par, uh, pardon me, but I've never been enslaved, nor has anyone in my direct family. Under, under the 13th Amendment, sir, you are under the direct threat of slavery in the modern era. Well, you, but but I appreciate of, that. Yeah. You said enslaved, but you said we're enslaved. I have not been enslaved. So if somebody can make you a slave, so, family. so so you, so it's you a, hey, hey guys, 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 it's semantics. He's yes, saying yes, he's saying yes. he's yeah. We're, it's semantics. I don't I don't I, I don't want you know y'all to get off track. Yep, but he's saying he's never no, no, been no, no. enslaved, and 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 because he like I've never been enslaved on a prison plantation. I've been in jail, but I ain't been enslaved on a prison plantation. And Johanan is is. is saying and both of you are correct and Johanan is saying you're under the threat of enslavement by just being a black man in, in this in this country I agree agree with the threat agree with the threat what all I'm trying to relate right now is 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 very very pointedly is is we have to take that reparations back we don't ask good God asking brings us really back into that massa can I get some more porridge and, <laughs> butter biscuits and, and and yes, come on now. Can I get them up with Mesa? No, no, no. And, and and this is the problem that I have with this with the reparations movement as we know it. We're going to the Hague and, and all this to try to get, you know, uh petitions and and that's great, fine. But in the final analysis, we have to learn in the United States how to play a chess game with him so that we can declare checkmate, we got you for two point four you know, billion or what have you. It's amazing that you uh, pull, pulled out that uh, metaphor of chess. A lot of people say that. And just today, I wrote a haiku about that metaphor, um, trying to go by memory, but it basically says, the game is chess. The pieces are black and blue. Both of the kings are white. 
Right. Hey, we, we're in overtime right now and, and we need to, uh, move towards, uh, wrapping up the program. Yeah. yeah I've been broadcasting like eight hours straight, man. <laughs> we can talk about it all day long. Brother, we appreciate your call and thank you for sharing your knowledge and information with us. And please, uh, stay in contact with us indeed. All right. All right, y'all. Peace, Peace to you, sir. Peace, man. All right. Yes, sir. Take care now. Ciao. Well, it looks like Q&A we're going to get in. Q is cleared. Get into what the Idaho representative said and then do our Idaho is Ferguson, or do you want to skip, uh, this Ferguson segment for one week and just go into the latter two segments? Just go the, into the, uh, well, let's do the Ferguson. What is it? The Ferguson is America piece. Um, and, let's do And then the, there's the underground, yeah, uh, the underground writer of the underground railroad and, right. uh, then the abolitionist, uh, profile. Okay, so if you feel we got enough time for all three of them, that's, that's yeah, fine. yeah. Please, please go ahead. Right on. Well, the the Idaho segment will be somewhat brief because Max Parthis is on the road, so <laughs> I did research this week. I got a few items, but you know Max is thorough, and I believe he's basically spoiling us so far with A through through H, with all the coverage and all the different levels and layers to what he's been able to find and point out that obviously this system is set up nationwide to oppress, you know, the poor and obviously people of color. Um, Idaho really should go <laughs> without any kind of question. Damn, it's Idaho. You know, Ruby Ridge. Yeah, man, Ruby Ridge, but hell, the, 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 uh, headquarters of several of the modern, you know, Aryan nation movements or whatever, they live there undisturbed. Wow. Like it ain't even no question. You know, you this, uh, what is it, storm? Stormfront or whatever the website is, I think that's one of their head uh, hubs. Uh, white supremacist movements of all types. Because even with Ruby Ridge, uh, the the guy up there, he was he was into the white supremacy thing or whatever. So anyway, <clears throat> Idaho is is already just accepted that it's off the chain. But uh, found some information from a few different sites to just give uh, kind of specific to incarceration, uh, racial disparities, and as well as. Um, uh, uh, traffic, uh, related policing related, uh, racial disparity. So, um, Idaho incarceration rates by race, um, since 2010, um, are rated at 656 people per 100,000 are white, 1,000 per every 100,000 are Hispanic, 1,700 of every 100,000 are American Indians or Alaska Natives, but a whopping 3,252 out of every 100,000 are black folks. Wow. So once, once again, for some crazy reason, every state in America has more black folks incarcerated per person. I wouldn't even just, have thought that three there were 3,000 black folks in Idaho. <laughs> just put... Put the Native Americans, uh, Alaskans, and African Americans all together as a percentage. How, would, how much would that be? Uh, that would be about five thousand people per every one hundred thousand. Versus that'd be about, that'd be about twenty percent. So it's five thousand people for every hundred thousand versus the whites who are only what'd you say six hundred and some. Six hundred for every one hundred thousand. Wow. <laughs> You're talking about over a uh, almost five hundred percent. Increase five hundred percent more. Yeah, yeah, and of course, I know you're going to tell the rest about the demographics. It ain't no way in hell that blacks or even natives make up at least fifty percent of the population. 
Hell no, they're like about three percent, man. So that three percent is catching hell. Them numbers is race baiting, ain't they? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh well. Hey, how did the CNN anchor say it? I don't see slavery. I mean, I don't see racism just because they're black. <laughs> well, or or she called her a nigger, or you know. right, right. Insane, man. Totally so when crazy. you're in a state where three percent of the population is African American. But yet they represent something like half of the prison population. You're talking about incredible racist indications right there. Yeah, it's like yeah. hunting grounds. It would seem to be. Uh, blacks are overrepresented in Idaho prisons and jails. Uh, total population, blacks represent 1% of the, of state, the state of Idaho. Yes, 1%. 1%. Of the incarcerated population, blacks represent 3% of the entire incarcerated population of the state. Mm. I don't know how that's even physically possible. Like, you would have to just, all the black people must just be rotating in and out of prison. In and out of jails. Yeah. I mean, damn, man. You're only 1%, but crazy. you're 3% of the total prison population. Yes, yes, we need you for those revenues. So, um, then I found some information from uh, USA Today. Um, in various counties and cities around uh, the state of Idaho. Um, the uh, 2012 arrest rate per 1,000 residents for blacks was 71.2%. The non-black rate was 25% in the Ada County what? Sheriff's. Yeah, non-blacks, 25%. Black folks, 71%. Your but you're only 1% of the population, right, right, and you represent right. 75% of the stops. Wow. Yep. You going down, brother? Um, let's see what other cities did we have here? Oh man, the map's messing up. But I had several other ones that were that are the same kind of numbers: two hundred for this, three hundred for that. Crazy. Now the map is acting crazy. If we can pull it back up, um, I'm gonna give this another second to act right, and then I'm gonna move to the other. It's map. some amazing statistics that you're pointing out because this is the lowest number that I've heard of black population in the state: one percent. I believe out here in Providence or in Rhode Island is three percent which isn't too much difference, but still 1% is a small percentage of the population. And then turn around and find out that 75% of the stops are focused on the 1% of the population is outrageous. Yeah. Well, that's what, uh, that's what you black folks deserve. Because, you know, you're criminals. As we talked about before with the, the uh, both sides of the aisle, the, the Democrats and Republicans, all of their uh, rhetoric pointing to the same thing. You know, Republicans saying blacks are just criminalistic. Democrats saying, well, blacks are criminalistic, but it's because of this, this, and this. But it's both saying that you're criminals. You're criminals, yeah. So, they're agreeing on it. Ridiculous. Uh, okay, here we go. The NAMPA, N-A-M-P-A Police Department, uh, 2012 arrest rate per 1,000 residents. The uh, non-blacks, 100 for every 1,000 residents arrested, uh, non-blacks. For the black folks, 271 for every 1,000 residents wow. arrested. That's pretty damn strong, man. <laughs> Jeez. Um, go to, uh, what is this, Caldwell? We've got a number that says uh, Canyon, Canyon County Sheriff's Office. The arrest rate for every 1,000 residents. <laughs> Ridiculous. 8%. 8 out of 1,000 residents arrested in Canyon County that are non-black. In Canyon County, 22 out of every 1,000 black folks arrested. Just like in Missouri, 
We're right. showing you that they're using African Americans and Native Americans as a revenue generator by imposing these fines on them, by imprisoning them for profit, by uh, exploiting their families and their children and their neighbors, by uh, seizing their assets and not allowing them to claim or own anything for any period of time. And very likely they've grouped them all into ghettos yeah, where they can yeah. just get them all in one shot and park police cars all around their neighborhoods. It's like fishing up. in a small pond in the backyard, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and, and again, I'm not going, I'm not going to say, say his name, but going back to the guy I was telling y'all about, they called in the Tanya Free and Friends and, and said, we don't have mass incarceration and, and this and that. And he said that what we need is a pathway for these people, the poor people, to the middle class and what like that. Well, I'll give you a pathway for these people to the middle class. Stop practicing slavery. Stop stealing from them through this sort of policing. Uh, you know, again, going back to Ferguson. Ferguson is America. It seems like what we're hearing in, audio, in Idaho is that the wealth is I mean, how can you get out of poverty if they keep stealing your wealth by finding you, you know, with these little petty tickets and then you got to get bailed out of jail and, you know, I mean, there are whole industries. Uh, man, I'm telling you, I'm trying to think of one industry in this country that isn't uh, tied to slavery in some form or fashion. I can't think of it. I can't. Gary say you're gonna be looking hard. <laughs> I don't know how you gonna find that. I can't think this of is one. This a slave nation, man. And you should see the uh, video that came out from John Oliver about Bale's bondsman recently. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that blew my mind. And it just shows how all of this is tied in together. They had images. They have right now TV shows where Bale's bondsmen compete against each other in capturing black men and women. Right. They go out right. and they record it and they race and they're going to get this guy and arrest them on these warrants and none of them have any kind of training in police or law. They just got a license and a gun. And they're out there on national television in a competition like the running man on steroids where they're chasing down African Americans to get these uh warrants. Now on the solution, Ian, like the 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 caller, the last caller the brother was uh speaking about. And I'm just spit I haven't done I'm admitting to you I haven't done enough research into this area to know. But I was like, well, how can how can communities how can we help black communities become like the black community that I live in? Now, the black community that I live in, we don't live within any kind of city limits, or most of us are related through marriage or blood. And, but we don't have police coming into our community, stopping and frisking and, and sitting on the corner and spying on people to see what they can get them on for jaywalking or, or stuff like that. And so I was like, well, how, you know, then I started thinking about these neighborhood associations, these gated communities. And so perhaps, you know, that is a solution to keeping the, the, the slave catchers, the police, out of our communities. It's turning them into gated, you know, communities. Yeah, I, I agree with you. What do we have to do? Do we have to come up with a charter and, and, and whatnot? And can you do that in a place like Baltimore or something? These communities that we know are slave catching fishing holes for these people. How do we get the police boot off our neck like Johannes said? Well, maybe we, these communities, we need to come together 
as a community, start, file a charter, whatever we need to do, turn it into a neighborhood association, throw up a gate, and then that way the police just can't come in. They got to have a code to get in or somebody had to let them <laughs> in. Or, you know what I'm saying? Right. Hey, man, I'm down for all all options, all well, uh, ways of working it. There you have it. Idaho is freaking Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Idaho is Ferguson. And let me finish the Idaho is Ferguson with a quote that came from the representative out of Idaho. Uh, he's the state representative for the Republican Party, and his name is Paul Shepard. And what he recently said was, slave owners were very good Christians and good people, he said, adding that he disagrees with slavery itself, but they weren't terrible, rotten, horrible people, and that's how I see gay people. They're just people who made mistakes. Uh, oh, my God. Well, then, hey, man, he's a part of the political process. So if you just uh, vote, you can fix that. That is incredible, man. So in Idaho, they don't even think that the slavers were bad people. And he, nah. in a way, he's right. Because, you know, they are just like you and me. They go and hug their daughters and wives. Yeah. Go to birthday parties and baseball games, and they make charitable contributions. But Mm -hmm. that's only part of the time. All of the time, they're slavers, and that makes them monsters. Wow. The the only Christians that, uh, you know, that I give uh, any kind of respect to is those like Denmark Vesey. Denmark Vesey. Do y'all know who he is? Of course you yes. two do know, but the <laughs> listeners, do y'all know who he was? He was a, a Episcopalian, I believe, African Episcopalian, uh, pastor of a church, and, uh, he, he conspired with Gullah Jack, an enslaved, uh, African from, I think, Angola or somewhere like that, um, um, from the west coast of Africa, and they conspired this slave revolt enslaved uh african revolt and and so yeah i mean that's what we're missing today we're missing those good christian folks that was part of the abolitionist movement because now most of these good christian folks is is supporting slavery today one way or another we all do even if it's with just our tax dollars well there you have our idaho is ferguson segment and i think it's time for us to go on to our rider of the 21st century underground railroad for this week um Scotty, am I correct? Yes, yes. All right. right. We appreciate our listeners hanging in with us for a little longer. We had a couple of calls today and a couple of extra things to speak about, so we really appreciate you hanging in there with us. Thank you very much. Uh, Our abolitionist, or rather our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad this week is who, uh, Brother Johanna? This week we have a brother named Alfred D. Wayne Brown. <clears throat> for the last 12 and a half years he's only seen his family through the glass this Houston father was sent to death row in 2005 when his daughter was just two years old after he was convicted in the shooting death of a police officer and a clerk at a check cashing store in 2003 November 2014 though after evidence was discovered supporting his alibi the court threw out his conviction then on just this past Monday District Attorney Devon Anderson dismissed the case for lack of evidence and granted Mr. Brown his freedom. Says uh, Harris County, Texas prosecutors announced June 8th that they have dismissed charges against Alfred Dwayne Brown, who had been sentenced to death in 2005 for the murders of a Houston police officer and a store clerk during a robbery. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals had overturned Brown's conviction last year because prosecutors with prosecutors withheld 
Oh my god, why does this keep happening? They just keep doing dirt and destroying lives. Prosecutors withheld a phone record that supported his alibi to begin with. Prosecutors in 2013 said that the phone record had been inadvertently misplaced. Brown had long maintained that he had been alone at his girlfriend's apartment at the time of the murder and that he called her after seeing reports of the shooting on the television himself. Defense lawyers argued that at the time of the phone call established that Brown could not have been at the store when the murder occurred. There was no physical evidence against Brown. And in a series of Pulitzer Prize winning columns by Houston Chronicle writer Lisa Falkenberg, where she disclosed irregularities in the grand jury process, that Brown's girlfriend had faced intimidating questioning and threats of perjury by a police officer who was the grand jury foreman. People, are you listening? Are you paying attention to what the hell is going on? They withheld evidence. They intimidated his girlfriend. Reminds me of John Crawford after the police murdered him in Walmart, then brought in his girlfriend and intimidated her and, and treated her like she was some kind of a criminal, and they didn't even tell her they had killed the man. Yep. Um, intimidating and questioning her, threatened her with perjury. The grand jury foreman was a police officer. Mm-mm-mm. And that she had been jailed for seven weeks until she... They put her in jail. They put the man's girlfriend in jail for seven weeks. So once like once again, like we talked about with the Ferguson situation, with the sisters in and out of jail, like we talked about with the police for profit, we talked about with the probation for profit, we talk about with all these little tiny quality of life infractions, broken windows, and all this crap that's going on, uh, stop, question, and press, just to engage people and get people somehow locked up. Just like we discussed with all these shootings and these abuses where the police are beating people and treating people like crap and they say in their, in their own defense, look, if you would just do what we said do, let us arrest you, then once you get out of jail, you could take us to court and find out if we were wrong or not. That's the police standard response to all of this is to say, just let us arrest you, just let us kidnap you once you get out of jail. You can take us to court, and if we were wrong, it'll be found out in court. But when we come up to you and say, stop right there, when we come up to you and put cuffs on you, when we come up to you and, and start trying to kidnap you, do not resist, do not talk back. So just like with that same thing that they say to everybody is what they did to these people. They told this woman, don't try to defend this man or we're going to put you in jail. And they did. They gave her seven weeks in jail. She lost everything she had before he even went away to prison. She finally changed her testimony to go ahead and implicate him after seven weeks in jail. Since She has since recanted that testimony. District Attorney Devin Anderson said, After very careful consideration, I have decided that at this time there is insufficient evidence to corroborate the testimony of his co-defendant. Accordingly, we dismissed Alfred Brown's capital murder case earlier. It is the right thing to do. Since 2007, Brown's attorneys have compiled strong evidence that the murder was committed by another man with a history of robbery and connections to the co-defendants in the crime. Despite a 2008 motion to test the alternate suspect's DNA, 2008 people is 2015. Such a test has not yet been carried out. Alfred Brown is the 154th person exonerated from death row since 1973, the 13th in Texas, and the 4th in the year of 2015 so far. So we say, we salute you, Brother Alfred Dwayne Brown. 
You made it back out, brother. Salute, Salute brother Brown. Welcome to freedom. And these stories remain like the craziest shit we talk about damn near all night. I mean, excuse me. It just, every time we got to talk about these stories, you see what this system is really about. So why would you want to be a part of it? Oh, my God, man. Just, oh, wow. What's, 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 what's wrong with going ahead and doing some police work? Is that, is that hard to do? Is that a problem? Is, is it okay if you go ahead and go take somebody's DNA? Is it okay if you go ahead and follow up on some other leads? Is that, is that all right with you, Mr. Police Officer? If you possibly look at some other evidence, check some clues, or watch a few episodes of CSI, Columbo, something, figure out how to be a damn cop. Why do you have to just go take somebody and force it? It's like a, a square peg in a round hole. They just gonna force it in there. Nope, nope, you're the one. Jeez. All right, I'm, I'm done, y'all. I'll holler at y'all at the closing comments. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I just damn. You get that hard truth right here at New Abolitionist Radio. I guess our next segment will be our abolitionist in profile. And since I'm here in uh, Rhode Island today, our abolitionist in profile will be George T. Downing, 1819 to 1903. 19th century political leader George T. Downing was born on December 30th, 1819 in New York, New York. The son of a restauranteur, Thomas Downing, he was introduced to politics at a young age. His father owned the Oyster House, which was a popular meeting place for New York politicians. When he moved to Newport, Rhode Island from New York City in the 1840s, Downing opened his own restaurant, the Seagirt House Luxury Hotel. Following his move to Rhode Island, he married Serena Leonardo de Gat de Grasse, I'm messing up her name, on November 24th, 1841. The couple had no children, but Henry Francis Downing, who would become prominent in his own right, was his nephew. In addition to managing his own restaurant, Downing was also the manager of the U.S. House of Representatives Dining Room in Washington, D.C., the position afforded him, as an African-American, rare contact with many prominent politicians and lobbyists in the antebellum period. The po- political influence would prove to be useful as he lobbied for the desegregation of Newport schools. Downing worked tirelessly on the cause from 1857 until the schools were desegregated in 1865. Downing was also an abolitionist who was active in the Underground Railroad. After the Civil War, he turned his attention to other reforms, including labor organizing. He was, for example, instrumental in the formation of the Colored National Labor Union in 1869. Downing was also worked with Frederick Douglass on a variety of campaigns designed to attain full civil rights for ex-slaves. Downing had less success in seeking office, although he was the wealthiest and most prominent African-American in Rhode Island and considered a national black civil rights and political leader, he failed in three separate bids to be elected to the Rhode Island Assembly in 1880s. George Downing passed away on July 21, 1903 in Newport, Rhode Island at the age of 83. For his contribution to politics and equal rights, Downing was inducted into the Rhode Island Heritage Hall of Fame in 2003. And tomorrow I will be visiting his grave here in Newport, Rhode Island. We here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, George T. Downing. Salute. Salute.
Yes, definitely going to visit his grave tomorrow as well as the uh, oldest uh, African-American free and enslaved cemetery in the entire United States. It's called God's Little Acre. We were there last year to help recommemorate it. Well, there you have it. That is our abolitionists in profile, and we can come to the end of our program again. We went over time, and we thank you very much for being here with us today. Uh, we're going to finish with our closing st- statements from Brother uh, Johanan and Scotty Reed and myself, and then we'll see you again next week. Which one of you brothers would like to open up tonight's closing statements? I'll go. Uh, Scotty usually goes first. Let me go first. We'll switch it up. I just want to, uh, again, thank everybody, like, uh, Max was saying for, for hanging in there with us. We, we see the reports of the times and the, and the, and the, uh, people to check in and listen and follow and download all that stuff. All that information is available, uh, through the website. So we're able to know as hosts and, and whatnot of the programs, uh, what's getting listening. So New Abolitionist Radio was always very strong. So just thank you to the people that actually listen. That spread the information around, spread it with friends and, and, and loved ones or whatever, uh, get the word out about the program. Um, thank you to all the new listeners, people that have heard this stuff for the first time. There's plenty of you out there, I know, and I have to continue to be reminded of that. Thank you, Max, for always staying on me to just remind me, you know, look, man, just hang in there because every time you do it, you're talking to somebody new. So to all the new people, thank you. Uh, hopefully this was informative for you. This was enlightening for you. Hopefully this was encouraging for you empowering for you um, and you will spread the word also we're only going to get out of this if we can link arm in arm and start moving forward together as a unified front against this tyranny against this terrorism against this occupation against this this situation we're in we've just got to come together against all of this so I just thank the people that follow and listen find us on social media Facebook um, New Abolitionist Radio on uh, find our group Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery and Human Trafficking. It's a Facebook group. Uh, as we said in the beginning of the program, we've added probably over 100 people in the last week. Um, we, we reached 1,000 in the first year. I'm pretty sure we're going to touch at 2,000 before, uh, the, before the summer's over at the rate that we're going. Active group, people do share information, but we're also able to, to put forward calls to action, <clears throat> get people to mobilize, get people to call, send emails, send letters to wardens and and you know different people in charge of folks lives when we find out there's illnesses or death threats or whatever's going on inside the prisons they get the word to us we're able to mobilize you know a unified front find us on youtube new abolitionist radio find us on twitter new abolitionist radio n-a-r end slavery uh we're everywhere we're trying to be everywhere we're putting the word out we're putting information out join up with us um as we told the caller as i mentioned to the caller and i do believe this with all my heart in slavery Free the slaves. Mm-hmm. Go in and get the reparations for the casualties that we've suffered from the drug wars and the war on crime. And then with those reparations and with our human resources and with those physical material resources we gain from reparations, that's when we're ready to move forward into black autonomy. We will not be able to get into black autonomy until all of our people are able to come forward with us. We can't just go and leave all these folks on the damn plantation. It's, that's why we're not getting it. That's why we're not getting set free. That's why we're not moving forward. That's why none of this works, because our attention is we're trying to turn away from the slaves. We couldn't do it in 1800s. We can't do it in 2015 and no other year. End slavery, free the slaves, get the reparations. Then we'll be ready to go get our own stuff. Peace to the abolitionists, death to the oppressors. Simple mathematics. 
Um, I'll go ahead and uh, close out by saying, yes, welcome to uh, all the new members. I added uh, at least 83 this week, new members. Added some more today um, to our group move to abolish 21st century slavery and human trafficking. And while, you know, one of the numbers mentioned, we, what, approaching 2,000 members or whatnot? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, now that, that, you may think that in a nation of, what, 300 million people, that that is not a lot of people. But it is the start of a movement. That's 2,000 people that acknowledges that slavery was never abolished, and they have have uh, uh, committed themselves to abolitionists, no matter what approach they take they are have the same goal as everyone else and that's to end slavery you know whether they are educating people whether they are protesting whether they are talking to like you know our brother christopher Irvin up there in maryland whether they are talking to state legislatures and getting them to sponsor bills or this or that again a death by a thousand paper cuts all right and, 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 and for those who are confronting the police in the street and, and, and stopping them from, from snatching people up on the streets and documenting stuff that they're doing wrong, you know, so, so we do not have critical mass in terms of, of abolitionists, in terms of raw numbers. But then as I look back throughout history, I don't think even most black people back in the day weren't abolitionists. I mean, it took being kidnapped and put into slavery himself before, what's the dude's name? Solomon Northrup. Before mm -hmm. Solomon Northrup became an abolitionist. It took him being impacted by it personally before he became an abolitionist. But there have never been millions of people that I can deduce from looking at the history that were abolitionists but those that small minority that were they were mm -hmm. able to accomplish a lot and, and they by no means completed the job they advanced it as far as they could okay and, and, and so it's up to us it's up to us to finish the job so don't be discouraged don't be discouraged you know because it looks uh, daunting on the surface it may look like we aren't making any advances. And I'm not trying to toot our own horn or, or brag or anything, but some of the conversations that I'm seeing being had in mainstream media was not being had before we launched this program and before we started recruiting abolitionists to our group and disseminating this information. So we are making strides. We are pushing the envelope. We are pushing the conversation and so just i want to close it out by saying be encouraged and, and stay strong and keep up the fight amen amen at the height of uh the slavery abolitionist movement only five percent of the population were uh admitted abolitionists only five percent and fifty percent of the nation was anti-slavery so we are well on our way to doing the same thing again making great strides. Indeed, Scotty Reed. I'm going to finish off by just, uh, again, giving you the information. Come see me. I'm here. I'm in Providence, Rhode Island. If you're in Boston, if you're in uh, Connecticut, if you're in Rhode Island, anywhere, come by and see Tribal Rain and Max Parthas live. 
We're going to do some poetry. We're going to talk about uh, the abolitionist movement and give some information. And hopefully while we're here, we're going to have a powwow with some of the leaders in the community about making some serious changes because uh, in Rhode Island, abolition has always, it's always been a citadel for abolitionists and it still is. A lot of my friends here are abolitionists. And even, you know, we have 2,000 people on our Facebook page, uh, Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery. As a person who does some traveling and recruiting abolitionists all the time, I can tell you that that's a small fraction of the real abolitionists out there. There's people out there that don't even touch Facebook, but they're a part of this movement. So shout out to them as well. You can find me tomorrow at the Celebrity Lounge at 71 Richmond Street, Providence, Rhode Island, and we'll, the doors open at 8 p.m. and we go on around 9 p.m. So please come out and check us out. That's a $10 cover charge, $5 with student ID. Veterans get in free with a military ID. And on Saturday, uh, the other event will be June 13th at Cafe Soul. And this is put on, all of this is put on by Christopher Johnson and it's Poetry in Public Places. And this will be at, uh, 62 Dyke Street, Loft 5 number 302 Providence Rhode Island and if you need more information just go to cafe-soul.org come see us because I'm looking forward to seeing you and keep in mind the main thing that I always tell you because it's the truth abolition is a reason for revolution so we can finally know peace peace Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.